The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Can I eat this roast beef? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the ggtmc use my deep radio voice tonight so <laughs> hopefully everybody will be into that i know i am <laughs> there we go <laughs> <laughs> yes i have a, a child asleep in the next room so i have to be very careful i'm walking on eggshells so to speak <laughs> you have to walk on those eggshells because if he wakes up you won't be walking on sunshine Yes, that is true. He he. Uh, just to give everybody a little insight, uh, last night he decided to wake up after about forty-five minutes of his initial going to bedtime, and he was like the Tasmanian Devil Man. Forget about it. He was he was out of control. Forty-five minutes, and he was ready to party. I know. I hate when that happens. That's oh, like, uh, yeah. Anyone who has kids can can relate to that. I mean, you get them to sleep, and it's just, oof. they get yeah. Like you said, they're ready to party, man, and you're just ready to cr- literally cry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so we are back, and we got uh, two very diverse and interesting films to talk about. And I believe they're both from, are they both from 1970 or 78? Yeah, man, very interesting. I think this might be the first time both films have come from the same year in all the episodes we've done, which is, I guess, a little piece of quirky trivia. Yeah, we got The uh, Shout, which is a kind of an underseen uh, horror film slash uh, existential piece of some sort, uh, which we'll talk about more, and uh, that's from 78, and then we got Blue Collar, which is a Paul Schrader film, uh, very popular, well, among film fans of Paul Schrader, very popular uh, Paul Schrader film, but not a, a, a criminally underseen one, I still think, some people have not seen Blue Collar, so we'll be talking about those two, so. You have a very American film and a very British film. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> There's the one involving cricket, and the other one involving... Uh, a shirtless Harvey Cattell, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we got going on for coverage this week. A uh, couple things. Uh, we There's this rumor going around the internet right now that, and the reason why I bring this up is because this is right down our alley. So the, I'm just going to bring it up. There's this rumor going around right now that uh, Tarantino might be making a spaghetti western and it might star the one and only Franco Nero and a few other infamous people now it's a rumor right now so we don't know what the truth might be but uh i just thought i'd mention it on the show in case anybody hadn't heard it uh obviously very excited if it does take place because i'd love to see a a modern spaghetti western from somebody who loves spaghetti westerns uh but i don't know i don't know and i've read that it's going to be his uh, sergio leone dedication film which i find kind of hard to believe because tarantino is such a dialogue driven director it's gonna be interesting to see him make a film where dialogue isn't (laughs) Maybe isn't a big part of it. You know what I'm saying? Well, he'll get Marconi involved, and he'll maybe get some of those really operatic shots, but he'll also exchange those scenes with you know, more dialogue-heavy. And I'll tell you, the cast that is rumored to be attached 
is a GGTMC kind of dreamcast in a way. It's funny that Inglorious went the exact opposite. We thought it when we kind of went wah wah, yeah. and then this casting, uh, you know, he's got uh, you know Fragonera, who really, I mean, you know, that's this patron saint material there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Carradine, Treat Williams, um, Christoph Waltz. Apparently, I mean, that that's a super duper cast. Yeah, and I mean, it's just in the rumor stages right now, but evidently. Nero has been talking to people and he's been saying it's going to take place. So I don't know. Uh, fingers crossed. That's what all I got to say. Fingers crossed. I hope it happens. Everything crossed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In- including the streams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is that. I don't know if there's anything else we want to talk about other than. Yeah, there is. As a matter of fact, uh, before we forget, because we're going to get pretty punchy near the end here, rest in peace, Jane Russell, one of the most iconic uh, sex pots and actresses uh, of you know the past fifty years. Yeah. Uh, really sad. Um, you know, we lost to her a few weeks ago, and then Jane Russell. Now it's uh, it's very sad. Yeah, it is. It is. I saw it uh, yesterday. Actually, I was at work. I couldn't believe it. But then again, I, it's kind of weird. I forgot she was as old as she was. Hmm. So, yeah, rest in peace, Jane Russell. Definitely one of the, maybe not the iconic uh, acting talent, but definitely iconic images of cinema history. Oh, yeah. So, But I, I enjoyed all of her work. I enjoyed most of her work. <laughs> that sounds perverted somehow. I don't know why it does. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like talking about rest in peace, Marilyn Chambers or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, so uh, what have you been watching? Uh small list you know when we get these weeks when you know i can both relate to this when just you know uh life gets in the way of, of movie watching which we certainly embrace with open arms but the cinephile part of you is just like come on man let me squeeze another one in yes, and indeed. Uh, i don't know how sometimes i managed to squeeze as many as i did before the year end it uh because this week i only got in one two three four outside of um uh, outside of the films we covered, uh, pretty diverse group. Uh, I watched the kids are all right, and uh, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I talk about this with people uh, like Emily and a bunch of people, we had a thread go on on my Facebook page. The more I realize the flaws of the film. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that um, all the performances are, are pretty good. I think a lot of them. It, it, the film to me reeks of. Um, like a, a heterosexual, like someone who th- who fancies himself very, and I could be wrong, but this is my perception based on the way it's written, who fancies himself very forward-thinking and liberal, and who writes a lesbian couple as as a, you know, forward-thinking liberal who really doesn't know any lesbians would think they would act. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really like Mark Ruffalo, but one of the beefs I have, which Emily brought up, was he his whole story arc kind of he just kind of left like literally like that his drops off like it's just you know it's kind of a shame but i mean otherwise you know i think it's i think i'm being as critical as i am because of the whole oscar thing but it's still like a solid seven film for me yeah uh, it's uh, definitely I, I haven't seen it it's one of the ones i didn't get around to but it, mm-hmm. it does scream oscar bait just like uh well, you know the film that won the Oscar. So there. You oh, go. what an what an Oscar bait film that was. That's really a shame. But you know, hey, I mean, it was good, but just too vanilla, as we'd said. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, I watched a film that ranked very highly on your list uh, because a friend of ours, um, uh, Trent, I believe, had said that uh, it was available streaming, um, and that was the two Escobars. Oh yeah. So was it? Is it available streaming? Yeah, there's a website. Uh, it's a documentary website that that had it streaming, nice. um, so I was able to catch it. Um, 
I thought it was really good. Uh, I, I, it wouldn't have made my top 10, but mm -hmm. I, it definitely would have been in my top 30. It was very, very good. Um, I think one of the things that it really magnifies is sometimes how what, cr what a cruel twist of fate can do to a life and how it can impact a life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had been fresh off seeing a lot of that stuff with Escobar in that Colombian episode I watched for that uh, that five-part miniseries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So some of that stuff maybe didn't hit me. I shouldn't say didn't hit me as hard, but I was already aware of it. Right. Um, but uh, excellent, excellent documentary. You were spot on with everything you'd said about it. And uh, I got to tell you, though, the goalie that did the scorpion kick, didn't he look like Rick James? <laughs> Yes, I got my brother looked like Rick James, man. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, yes, my, I got my muffled laughter going on today. <laughs> yeah, and I, but you know, it was weird for me to see that stuff when they got over there in '94 when the World Cup was in the States because that was the first year I lived um, in Toronto where there was a big soccer event. And I'll always remember that World Cup as being my real indoctrination into the world of, of the World Cup and, and football beyond just a little bit of Premier League here and there. Right. Um, and I remember that World Cup, and I remember Valderrama with his hair. Right. And uh, I remember I watched that game with Escobar scoring his own goal. And it was a really good documentary, though. Yeah. Um, I watched Tonight at the Opera because I, I taped a bunch of uh, Marx Brothers of uh, TCM. Um, it's quite good. Uh, I think that the first half really, as I've seen with a lot of these kind of zany comedies from the time, first half has a lot of energy and then they kind of run out of gas. It's like they can't quite keep up with that energy through the whole film. Right. Um, the really great bit with uh, <laughs> with Crocho's uh, room on the boat, and they get about twenty five people in this fucking broom closet, and <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's quite inspired. Um, and last up was when I just squeezed in tonight. That would have been in my probably eleven to twenty range. I re if it was out this year, I really liked it. It was a documentary called "I Like Killing Flies." Oh yeah, I've seen that on my Netflix queue for a long time. I just haven't watched it. Really fucking good, man. It's uh, it's about the family that runs Shopsons, which is a pretty notorious, uh, uh, like Seinfeld esque uh, diner uh, in New York City, and they got like nine hundred items on the menu, and it's really eccentric family, and you know they got some pretty strict rules. You know, like you have to eat or they'll kick you out. You have to have a party of no more than four, or you get kicked out. Um, just really strange things, but but a really fascinating piece that feels very distinctly New York that I cannot recommend highly enough. Nice. I'm going to check that out then. Yeah, I think you'd really dig it, man. It's really good stuff. Okay, that's it then? Well, yeah, what have you been watching? Well, mostly it's all documentary stuff. I I tried to squeeze in some more uh, you know, fictional films, but just could not get it done this weekend. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I watched... Uh, I actually watched this a couple weeks ago, but I forgot to write it down. I watched uh, Conversations with Fritz Lang. This was uh, something I got off of Zom. Oh, yes. This uh, freaking interviewing Fritz Lang, talking about movies and, you know, his thoughts on them and stuff. Pretty interesting stuff. You know, Fritz, no notorious for being on the set, being a tyrant. One of those uh, stereotypical German directors like Otto Preminger or something. You know? But, uh, you know, he's obviously one of the great visual filmmakers of all time. Maybe one of the most influential filmmakers of all time, so... Uh, very interesting, uh, you know. Freaking, also known as being a tyrant. So it's and, you know, these two guys being nice to each other. It's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> mutual respect for each other, you know. Uh, yeah. That's really good. It's only about fifty minutes long. Uh, oh, nice. But uh, it's, it's pretty good. I, ne I never seen it before. I knew he had interviewed him. I'd never seen it before. So you know, Zom uh, hooked me up. So thank you, Doctor Zom. Uh, also, I rewatched until the light takes us. It's now on Netflix Instant Watch. Uh, that's the black metal documentary. I want to rewatch it again and see if I got the same impressions. I still love the film because it, it just tackles a subject that isn't talked about often. Uh, I still wish it was longer. I still think in 93 minutes it really 
it can't go into detail as much as it would like about until the, the light takes us. Yeah, yeah, until okay. the light takes us. But you know, at the same time, you know, it's still really good. Uh, again, I'll say this and, and warn people: you know, you got to be a documentary film fan to really understand why I like this film because I think a lot of people are going to watch this and obviously they're going to hate the material because the film, you know, like I said before, black metal is is not for everybody. It's definitely, uh, it's the anti-music, let's put it that way. And uh, so, you know, but the music doesn't really play a strong part in the documentary. It's more about the stories behind the youth of uh, Norway and, you know, kind of how they feel about the Christian culture interfering with their lives and stuff like that because, you know, a lot of Norwegians are, at least a lot of those younger Norwegians in that movement just did not do not like Christianity, so, and they don't like the Satan worship either. But it's just you know, they like to go back to their old uh, Nordic beliefs. So, just interesting stuff. Still very very interested, very interested in seeing it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people. I think what they see it, they'll see that you know because on the outside looking in, it all looks like uh, satanic worshiping music, right? Because you know you get your upside down crosses and people dressed in white paint with black eyes and all this other crazy crap. But in reality, they're just you know kind of preaching that you know, destruction, and, and it's kind of like, you know, this Norse thing. Of course, I'm probably getting myself into hot water here because I don't know exactly, you know, all of Norse mythology other than the fact that it, you know, involves metal somehow and mm. <laughs> and a history, so I don't want to get into it, and I don't want Odin to come down and strike his sword across my neck and kill me. <laughs> so, but I did watch another documentary that I had been meaning to see. It just popped up on Netflix instant here in the States, and that's uh, Client 9, The Rise and Fall of Elliot Spitzer. Uh, yes, this was a pretty interesting case. I wanted to try to squeeze this one in, too. It was quite a fall from grace. Yes, yes. And it's, it's really quite interesting. And, and, and Elliot Spitzer himself is very is very frank in the documentary. And, you know, oh, he, he's actually, he this, he talks about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He admits, you know, he, he had a weakness. And uh, yeah, I'm always interested in these people who, uh, you know, fall from grace. Because uh, I, th- I find it very human when somebody, you know, falls. Because I just don't think anybody's perfect. So... I, I found it very interesting, and he and he, you know, he had a lot of good points that he made and stuff. And you know, he you know he was trying really hard and stuff. He just you know, just the way it goes. And I don't want to give too much away because it's a really good documentary. And, and of course, it kind of takes an angle that there might have been some outside people involved that kind of found out about this you know stuff, and uh, you know some people who had money that Spitzer was after. So <laughs> yeah, it's just a shame because of his position, mm-hmm. Attorney General for New York State, uh, if I remember correctly. Yes, um, that's what makes it sort of a. a tragic downfall in a sense and yep. um yeah i gotta check that one out man would you would it have made your list if you had have seen it you think uh it might have it might have. It's, it's really good i mean it, it's it's one of the better documentaries i've seen it's a little long it's almost two hours long so it's a little long but uh i think it runs out of gas in a couple spots but uh i did find it very very interesting very interesting i actually found it you know the most interesting part i found about it was uh the girl that got all the publicity for being the one they kind of got him in trouble. It was not actually the girl at all. There was actually another one he saw. No. Yeah, there was actually another one he saw that he saw frequently, and that's the one that ended up getting him in trouble. But she, he saw her, he saw that girl one time only. She was a good looking girl, from what I remember, though. For yeah, what it's worth. and evidently, I think she works for the New York Post now or something like that. So oh, yeah, naturally, she kind of used it to, uh, you know. I think the reason why whole vault. Was, yes, exactly. <laughs> no pun intended. Yes. <laughs> Spitz vault. <maybe>. Yes. <laughs> Again, no pun intended. She <laughs> yes. swallows vault in that case. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it seems like she kind of used it to, uh, you know, get where she needed to go. But, uh, you know, hey, it's kind of an interesting piece on uh, you know, kind of like a modern fall. Because Spitzer was actually, you know, he was the golden boy. He was going to be the next, uh, the great, 
New York politician, maybe the next president, all this kind of stuff. People were talking that kind of talk. So who knows? But, you know, like a lot of these people, you know, they just, <laughs> he discovered a weakness he had. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but uh, his weakness can be relatable to a lot of, I'd say a lot of uh, men can relate to it. Not that they've done it, but they can understand the weakness. So. It's kryptonite for many a men. It yep. uh, certainly won't be the last time that there's the downfall of this nature. Exactly. And that's all I watched, man. I didn't watch much. I'm still, I still haven't even cracked 40 films for the year. It's been a, it's been a, been a slow year for me, but you know, I've kind of made it a goal to not go. F- I'm not physically going for 400 this year. I'm just kind of going to, I'm just going to kind of go and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I, I've kind of been, um, in the same boat trying to just, Kind of stop and smell the roses a little more. I just, you know, I don't want, I don't know. I mean, I still get annoyed that I can't watch 35 films a week and, you know, it's, but yeah, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to lose sight of things either. That, right. You know, I just try to watch quality as much as I can and enjoy what I'm watching because it gets to a point where you consume so much for the sake of consumption that you're not really digesting and enjoying sometimes what you're watching. So, right. and I've been reading too, I've been reading this uh, Hal Needham biography called Stuntman. Oh, nice. I've been reading that. That's really good. You know, Fuck. <laughs> You've inspired me. I got Anthony Perkins' biography on my desk on my bedstand. I've been waiting to crack into it for a while. I might get into it then. Yeah, I've been trying to do some stuff like that again to get back to that, you know, because last year I would forego reading or anything else to uh, <laughs> to watch another film. Like, cram another one in, another one, another one. Yeah. So, but this year I'm going to kind of make a more conscious effort to get a little bit more film history digested into my brain through maybe the literature and some other stuff, so. All right, and of course, you know, I always get to watch two films a week, no matter what, because of the show, so I'm happy yeah. about that. That gives me a great excuse to watch stuff. <laughs> yeah, man, I hear you. <laughs> All right, so that is our intro. I think we'll take a short break and come back. What do you want to talk about first here? Yeah, whatever you like, my friend. Uh, you call it. Uh, let's talk about Blue Collar first. Let's do it. All right, we'll be back to talk a little Blue Collar. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. I do get funky. That's how I got so far. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that falls into that, that genre of music so funky that if there was ever a question, someone was an alien, I'd play that for them. <laughs> yes. If they didn't get down a little, just leaving a little foot tap. Yes. <laughs> fucking charge them immediately. Yes. All right. So we are back and we're going to talk uh, Paul Schrader's Blue Collar. Hey, this is your pick. So I'm going to let yes. you uh, synopsize and we'll talk about it here. 
I'm, I'm not going to use the synopsis that uh, is on IMDb because it's like shamefully, like so full of spoilers. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know what's very interesting? Uh, as an actually, let me start over. Let me let me synopsize the film, and I'll just briefly mention Schrader. Um, so, Blue Collar is really about uh, three men uh, who work in uh, in Detroit for the automobile industry. Um, uh, two black, one white. Of course, played by Yaffa Cotto. Uh, see, there you go, Bill. We said Cotto. Um, Richard Pryor, and of course Harvey Keitel. Uh, this is our second Schrader film as far as direction goes. Mm-hmm. So we've covered his first two films now. Um, this is a film that I'd meant to see for ages and just had never seen. And then by the time I finally got it, um, I just I had to sit on it forever. I mean, I could have picked it sooner, but I didn't for some reason. But uh, anyway, uh, I wanted to talk about it um, because I love Schrader and I know you love Schrader. And uh, here we are. So you've seen this before. Uh, looking at it through a critical eye, what did you think? Okay, um, my thoughts on Blue Collar. I've always, I've always liked Blue Collar quite a bit. And obviously this fits in perfectly with the... Uh Paul Schrader type material. He loves this kind of stuff, and you know, you know, this is a really great example of you know the working man uh, against the man type material. You know, kind of a rebellious type thing, but also kind of you know the failure of the American dream type material. That kind of stuff. I think uh, they work in a checkered cab factory, right? Well, it, it's. I know it's. Um that's where they shot it, but I think it was only because none of the uh, the automobile manufacturers wanted them to shoot it there. So, I think it is implied, of course, that it is one of the big. It was the big three. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it the big two or the big three? I'm pretty embarrassed. I can't remember that right now. I couldn't tell you. To be honest with you. Anyway, it, it wasn't one of the big Ford GMs, etc. Right. Um, so I think that they shot in the taxi thing only because they would let them. But I, I don't think it was ever said that they. Um, it was like a taxi factory, although it did look like it with all those yellow cars, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, those fifty-five Chevys would look like to me. So it looked like it might have been a checker cab company or something. But I don't even know. I didn't even know that they had a company like that. So it's all news to me. So if anybody out there knows, we'd like to know. I'd like, I'd like to know. It might have been said in what I've heard is an Aces commentary track. I wanted to listen to it before we did the episode, but I didn't get a chance to. Yeah, Schrader does good commentaries. He, he really does. So. I'd recommend his commentaries even for his bad films, which there's not a whole lot of them, but uh, he's always interesting because, you know, he's a writer and director. So, Yeah, he, he actually wrote the first film that we ever covered on the show, of course, Rolling Thunder. It's yeah. um, weird. I, I just remembered that. <laughs> I would say, Sammy, that by the time it's all said and done, I'm willing to do almost every film he's covered. I think along with Friedkin, he's one of the most criminally underappreciated filmmakers uh, to have made some real great films. Yeah, yeah, he makes some interesting stuff. Even when he falls on his face, it's still interesting. Uh, example would uh, maybe his prequel to The Exorcist. I don't know. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I just at that point I was a little bit burned out, and I yeah. was a bit weary despite it being straighter. But yeah, we've done this one. We've done hardcore, and I'm looking at his stuff. And uh, yeah, I could do them all. I could do any of these films actually. We will do Mishima because I consider it to be one of the greatest films ever made. So yeah. there's some good stuff in here. Yeah, and there's some weird stuff in here, but hey, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. But anyway, this film stars Jaffa Kato, uh, Harvey Cattell, and Richard Pryor. And one of the things that this film may remind me of is just how good an actor Richard Pryor actually was. Like a lot of comedians, he could really you know turn it on when he really wanted to. And of course, you know his films later on became much more Richard Pryor centric, similar to like Eddie Murphy's career. You know, Eddie Murphy's a good actor; he just ends up in these Eddie Murphy movies. Eddie Murphy vehicles, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're vehicles, basically. You're right. You know, it's not that the that he's not a talented guy; it's just he ends up in these vehicles that you know give him a nice fat paycheck and 
and stuff like that. Similar to somebody like, well, actually, I think Eddie Murphy's more talented than this person. I'm getting ready to say, but similar to like Adam Sandler films, where they're kind of like their own genre almost. Yeah, you're right. It really has become that way. I will say this though: I think Sandler has proven, though, in the right hands, he can be good. He was great yeah. when working with Paul Anderson. Yeah, he can be. I just think that you know he chooses to make his, you know, his movies with Elvis Fred, you know, all of his buddies. Stuff. Yes, and I will say this though: I'll take a bad Sandler over a bad Murphy for what it's worth. <laughs> well, yeah, I never thought I'd ever say that, but what, what Eddie Murphy's <laughs> done in the last ten years has just been. <laughs> oh. Talk about an actor who should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. How embarrassing. <laughs> an embarrassing career for the last couple of ten years have been. Jesus. And we're not even talking about the tranny solicitation. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> That was one of the more interesting things he's done in the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> but he's just, you know, these fat suits and everything. And I really just think oh. that the nutty professor ruined him, you know. So, whatever. Yeah. I know some people like that film. I'm not a fan, but whatever. Anyway, uh, I've been on both sides of this union argument. I've actually been a union member and uh, been uh, a manager. And I know what it's like to be on both sides. And it can be pretty intense. And the stronger your union, the typically the more intense it gets. And, uh, you know, I found these interest, these union meetings interesting. Uh, they felt real and that like, you know, there's always one or two guys that are real vocal and then there's always like a bunch of guys that seem to just kind of be hanging out, <laughs> uh, you know, wanting to be part of it, but don't really know what to do and stuff like that. But I like Richard Pryor's, you know, just a little thing about a broken locker is uh, it's a pretty, pretty passionate moment of how irritated he is with everything, how tired he is of getting, you know, hit with bills and, and all these other things that he gets hit with. Oh yeah, it absolutely is, and I think it, it's a it's a big thing because it's something he deals with every day, and it just kind of exemplifies the whole thing. Like he's got to put up with this bullshit on something on his job that he shouldn't have to put up with, and they just don't care enough to fix. Right, it kind of tells in the film, and he plays a really kind of dialed down role. This is kind of Harvey doing his more dialed back stuff and stuff, but it's still very Harvey. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> in the fact that you know he, he has to be shirtless uh, quite often, and. Uh, you know, there's some really, there's some good, really good moments with him. You know, I mean, he's, of course, you know, his career is an interesting one to begin with. It seems like he really just started getting critical acclaim when he got way, way up into his like his fifties and sixties. He's always been a good actor. It's just uh, sometimes he picks some again weird projects. Yeah, one of my favorite actors. Yeah, yeah, he's a great. I mean, I love his face and everything else. And it looks like that uh, Cutthroat's Nine is in pre-production. It's going through. Mad, who is it? Mads, it's Harvey, Roy. and who else? Roy Dupuis or Dupuis? Oh, yeah, Dupuis. there we go. What a fucking cast that is. Directed by Rodrigo Godino, the uh, rumor guy. Yes. So, shooting in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I've heard of that place. Yes, the land of milk and honey, as they say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Spain. Or maple syrup and pancakes, anyway. Yeah, and Spain, oddly. So, that ought to be interesting to look at. Oh, nice. <laughs> but that ought to be pretty good, man. I, I'm really, I just can't wait to see that. That's one of my... You know, most anticipated films right there. Oh, yeah. Because that stuff is definitely prime material to be remade. Yeah, I think both of us would agree if ever a film was primed to be remade in the right hands, that would be it. Yes, exactly. And then uh, Kato's in the film, and then Yafet, uh, you know, we love him on the show. Obviously, he's one of the maybe, I don't want to say lesser GGTMC painted saints, but he is one of those guys who has had a just an endlessly interesting career. And... uh you know, I love everything he does. I think he's a, I think he's a criminally underrated uh, actor. Totally, totally, yeah. totally, totally. That's why I want to cover Bone at some point on the show because I think, uh, you know, far too often he kind of got overlooked by the people he co-starred with. But he shows in this that I mean, he can pick up the ball and fucking go, man. Yeah, he can do anything. I mean, I've, I've seen him in so many films, and uh, I, I keep thinking about that one Gary Busey film I want to cover at some point on the show, the Eye of the Tiger film. 
Right. Because, you know, he wears that pilot's outfit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, by the way, in this film, you have it, you're going to be a, you know, you're going to fly a biplane. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he goes to wardrobe and grabs, like, the Red Baron costume. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? So it's very interesting. But, uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to talk more about that film. But also, you know, talk about him in this film because he's, he's really great in this film. He plays a character named Smokey or Smoke, they call him. And, and uh, he's a lot of fun in this movie. So, uh, anyway, like I said, I've been on both sides of the union argument. And then, of course, I like that Richard Pryor says, uh, flick my bick at one point, which yeah. <laughs> really took me back to my youth. <laughs> Yeah, it took me back to first date with my wife. Didn't end as well as I thought it would, but uh, hey, these are the breaks. Yeah. Flick my bick. Yeah. Man, flick my bick. It's funny that he says that like as an insult and stuff because the word, I mean, this movie is heavy with profanity. I mean, I remember. I think, <laughs> I think they say fuck like 143 times. It's one of the trivia things I saw. Yeah, and it's just like it's heavy with profanity. So it's like, why the hell would he, why don't he just say, you know, man, fuck you. It's just saying flick my bick. But I give it to <laughs> Like Jesus, but you know, again, I think Richard Pryor is still the reigning king of using foul language. I just don't think there's ever been an actor outside of maybe like a Sam Jackson, a Samuel Jackson, or uh, somebody like that who uses cuss words to such good effect of getting oh, things yeah. across. You know, and you can say cuss words, curse words. I call them cuss words. It's what I always called them when I was growing up. A lot of people say curse words or cursing or swearing or whatever, but. The way he uses the swearing in this film, it, it's almost like poetry. It's almost like a, it's like a Tarantino dialogue. It's it's very much like that. That it, it after a while, it just becomes this kind of flow that comes out of his mouth naturally, and it feels very natural to hear Richard Pryor talk that way. And it feels very natural for his character Zeke to be this frustrated man who wants to do well for his family. Uh, and that's one of the most interesting things about this film is these three guys. Well, two of these guys are sort of well. One of them's a Family Guy. One of them's yeah, one of them's kind of sort of a family guy, although we don't really see much of his family. I think you just see his wife, really, and maybe his kid once or twice. No, 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 I take that back. He is a family guy. I was going to say, yeah, two of them are definitely family men. I just remember the braces scene. Oh, man, what a is, great fucking moment. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. But these guys are also very flawed and that they, you know, they like their blow and they like their, uh, you know, they, they like the GGTMC favorites, you know. We, some people like breakfast, GGTMC like hookers and blow. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. They got the... <laughs> The Breakfast of Champions. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think that one of the things I love about these characters is that they feel very human. They feel feel very real. And they, uh, hopefully I say this and it comes off properly, but I, I, I found it very poignant that a lot of times, you know, being like a working class guy myself and you, and I think I really... I really feel for these guys because these are guys that, that go and they work their ass off and they don't have, they have, you know, the savviness, but not the education sometimes to articulate the right things to get them up out of the, the shit sometimes the lunchbox. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think they, they know that and they can't even articulate. That's why, you know, they're, they're driven to do some sort of desperate things, obviously. Yeah. I like that scene where Cattell talks about, <laughs> I think he might have the, the crabs or something. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Smokey says, all oh, that pussy was clean. <laughs> so these guys are very crass, very blue-collar. You know, if if you grew up in a blue-collar environment or if you know people from a blue-collar environment, I mean, they're very, it's very realistic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it reminds me, a lot of the, like the bar they go to, that reminds me of a bar my dad used to frequent. It didn't really look like a bar as much as it looks like, like a little room. Or like a legion. Yeah, like a little room with like a couple tables and an excuse yeah. to drink, you know. <laughs> but uh, all that stuff kind of reminds me of because my dad was a very blue collar factory working kind of guy and uh, so all that stuff was 
very much very familiar. And he would come out. I can remember him coming out of work somewhere to the way those guys walk out. You know, they'd be dirty and and some of them some of them still have their goggles on or a hard hat or or you know they'd wear the same clothes every day because they didn't want to ruin all their clothes, so they wear the same jumpsuit or you know pullovers every day, and they just be filthy, you know. But they were mm-hmm. making you know they were making a living. So that's the way it was. And it's still, it's still a time, I think the 70s is still a time where people were still trying to do the, you know, the dream, whereas, you know, one parent works and, you know, support, you know, supports the whole family and stuff and the mom stays home and stuff. And, of course, I think, unfortunately, that, that dream has died a lot in recent years. But, uh, you know, it, it's still part of that American dream, you know, the, the 50s and, and 60s and stuff of the, of the dad leaving and coming back home in the evening and having dinner with the family and, you know, everything's okay. And I still think they were trying to hang on to that in the 70s, but... Unfortunately, they could not. It's it is really sad because I talk about it with my dad all the time because he's kind of betwixt and between, where he was part of that generation. Now, as later on, as he was about to retire, he re, he couldn't sustain that, and it it is really tragic. And it's also interesting to see the scenes where, like, with Pryor and his family, this is something you don't see very often anymore because of the computers and everything else. The family was all sitting in the living room together. The kids are kind of playing on the floor and the parents are watching TV and he's reading the newspaper. It's just one of those things that it's, it's sadly a snapshot of days gone by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think at one point, doesn't Harvey Keto have a T-shirt on that's it's the old uh, Big Mac slogan? Two yeah, all it might beef. have. Yeah, he had a T-shirt that said, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which reminds me again of my youth. <laughs> right there with yes, Flick yes. Vic. Um. <laughs> This film, like I say, it does deal with both sides of this issue, and I, I like that it kind of gets into the other side of the issue with unions too. That you know they can come sometimes become so powerful they end up becoming like their own little corporations. Mm-hmm. And there's that great scene where the head of the union, or at least one of the union presidents, when Pryor goes to the uh, the union office, and he fakes a phone call to uh, oh. his union rep, and it, it you know I, I don't want to say that you know for anybody out there that's in a union and really supports their unions. I'm not talking bad about your union in particular, but I do want to say that I've worked with unions before who are shady like this, and it's it's, it's no secret it happens. Uh, this is what happens when they become powerful. You know, you think about some of these unions, man. Some of them have like millions of workers in them, and they pay you know union dues, and they they, they got a lot of money. Uh-huh. So you know, it's very interesting, uh, kind of the backstory of union. Uh, the unions. Have you ever seen that uh, Danny DeVito directed film Hoffa? Have you ever seen Hoffa? Yeah, I did actually. I quite enjoyed it. The one uh, with uh, Jack is uh, yeah. Hoffa, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good film. Yeah, I quite like that film. That's yeah, good film. Uh, kind of under underrated, underloved, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of got looked over. Uh, I don't know why, but I thought it was really good. Real good performance from Nicholson too. Um, of course, it would be a criminal uh, understatement if I did not mention first uh, some GGT TMC type material and the fact that Yafik Kato wears white sweatpants, which are definitely a thing of the past. <laughs> or the thing of the present if you're talking about recording at 12.04 on a Tuesday evening. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is true. And, uh, and also the fact that the J&B bottle makes an appearance. Brother, you saw it, and if you saw it seven minutes and 43 seconds into the film, in the first union meeting, there was a white half shirt on one of the black guys. <laughs> yeah. I saw the half shirt. <laughs> I didn't make a note of it, though. Damn it. So, I find it interesting that, uh, to me, Cantel's character, he almost seems like, it's like a precursor almost, like a bad lieutenant character in some ways. Before, this is still kind of wide-eyed, naive, a yeah. uh, little bit. But with a did touch of, with a glint in his eye. I just Going back and looking at it, I haven't seen this film since I've watched Bad Lieutenant. I haven't watched this film in ages, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen it in forever. Um uh, 
But going back and looking at it now, I can see some similarities between that character he plays, Bartowski, in this film, and the character that he plays in Bad Lieutenant. Like it's like, it's like he was a union. It's almost like he was a, you know, a union worker, car manufacturing kind of guy, and then he eventually got to be a cop, <laughs> and he's still, you know, this tired guy who's still looking for a buzz and a good time, you know. So I found it kind of yeah. interesting. And then, like I said, there's that heartbreaking scene where you know I think his daughter tries to make braces for herself, right? Yeah, it's a really, it's one of the moments, the film that really, really um, grabbed me. Again, I think it's one of those things, it'll grab anyone because it's done effectively. But again, I hate to always harp on this, but, you know, we can't help but talk about the personal things. But, um, you know, the fact that the desperation these guys feel, um, that they're working their fucking hands to the bone and they, they're making ends meet. It's You talked about this a while ago with, um, like, the working poor almost. Like, people, they can afford some things, but... They're still getting taxed out the ass, and they just can't quite get over that hump. Yeah. Um, everything is close. It's it's just right there, but they can't quite get it. And this is the thing where the daughter needs braces um, because she was trying out for a, uh, like the baton twirling team or something. And you know she tries to make her own. You can see her mouth's a bit bloody and raw. And it's like, man, imagine that was your daughter. Like, and you you're in a position where you couldn't really help, or you you right. you, you know what I mean? It just it's a really fucking great scene, really heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'm going, to say, I'm going to put this out there and say this right here and now. Worst heist costumes ever. <laughs> Worst, absolutely. One, uh, yeah, Fakota wears googly eyes, like slinkies. Um, someone wears a propeller hat <laughs> with buck teeth. I think it's Richard Pryor. And what does uh, Kaitel wear again? Uh, I think he just wears x-ray glasses. <laughs> I think he wears x-ray glasses, like the yeah, hologram or x-ray glasses. Yes. Uh, yeah, not <laughs> Pryor, so good. Pryor's teeth remind me of a Blackula or something. <laughs> Yeah, they did, man. They totally did. Like a hillbilly kind of black killer yeah. vibe. Worst heist costumes ever. I, I, I want to. Anybody can give me worse ones. I, I want you to give them to me. But I loved heist. Co- I love heist costumes in films. Uh, it's always interesting. Like uh, you know, even the town did a good. All I, I love when they, you know, use certain kinds of masks and stuff and everything. Kind of gives you know these guys a, a, uh, a kind of otherworldly feel. And of course, you know, I, I kind of freak out about masks anyway. And we always talk about the flesh-colored mask and how freaky those things are, and stuff. But these costumes, oh. The worst ever. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when they go, we got to go get some Halloween costumes or something, and yeah, we're going to see some fucking cool-ass Max on Kodo and, and Kaitel, and here we are. They show up with the fucking googly eyes and the propeller hat, and it's like, oh, okay, well. I for, at, least, at least they brought the proper gun butt technique. I look for a still image of that. I need to find a still image of them coming oh, out of the... I got to bring it up. You know what? Um, I, fuck, you know what, dude? I'm going to try to do that before we finish recording because I have it on my computer. I have the VLC player, so. <laughs> I'm going to have to try to get that up because I'd like to put that on the, for the post because it's just so, it's so atrocious. It is. <laughs> All right. Um, to me, this film, I'll say this. I don't think it's Schrader's best directed film. I mean, obviously you mentioned Mishima and, and uh, uh, some of his other films. I don't think it's his best directed film, but I do think... It's one of his best written films, and so he gets some of his best acting out of this film. Uh, I know that sounds kind of crazy to say that, but I just don't think visually it's as powerful as Schrader has become. Now, this is, of course, you know, it's like one of his first films, if not his very first film, right? So It is his first film as a director, and it should be said, there were fist fights on the set between the three leads, and, and Schrader had a hell of a time even getting the film made. So I think when you look at that as a first-time filmmaker, um, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a modern miracle. Yes, yes, it is. And he, uh, you know, he would direct uh, 
Hardcore next, and I think Hardcore has a lot more directorial flourish and stuff. And have you ever seen American Gigolo, the Richard Gere movie? Uh, as a kid, I saw it. I obviously didn't like it because I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I do intend to go back and visit it. Uh, same yeah. with Cat People. I've seen Cat People more recently, and I did like it. Um, but again, I want to see it now that I'm, I consider myself to be a Schrader enthusiast because it's probably been about probably about 18 years or so since I've seen it. And I like a lot of stuff he deals with. And there's another film of his that I wouldn't mind covering at some point. It's a Michael J. Fox, Joan Jett film called Light of Day. I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it's, it's, no. it's a good movie, man. It deals a lot with blue-collar stuff, and it's a good movie. He really touches – I really wish he'd stay in that world, but then again, some of his other films I do find interesting. I just find it, you know, that he always deals with human uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Imperfection, maybe? Human uh, – he seems to always deal with the fact that, you know, as, as good as we are, as good as we can be, we have these incredible – flaws to us and he just handles mm-hmm. that material very well you know i just think he handles that stuff very well and that might come from his background you know he was raised a calvinist a very strict religious i don't even think he saw a movie until he was 18 years old that's right and uh so to, to think about that you got to think about that really kind of grasp that material in your head and think about that for a second because it's pretty amazing when you really think about it and really when you think about his writing i mean some of the stuff he's written before he even directed stuff i mean it's amazing i mean it's kind of i mean it's got, it's got his, in cinema history, it doesn't even matter if he never directed a film because the guy wrote, he wrote The Accuser, he wrote Taxi Driver, uh, Obsession, the Brian Palma film. I think it's the Brian Palma film. Pretty positive it is. No, maybe it's not. Yeah, it is. It is. Mm, is it? You're sure? Yeah, it is. Okay. It's the Palma film. It's a good one, too. Have you ever seen Obsession? That's the one with uh, Catherine, um, not Ka- is it the one with Catherine Deneuve? No, it's uh, Genevieve Bourgeois. Oh, Bourgeois. That's what I meant to say. Sorry. That's what I meant to say. French Genevieve. actress. Yeah, I have seen it. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's one of the overlooked De Palma films. Yes. Um, but, you know, he wrote Rolling Thunder. You're talking about, you know, Rage, like I said, Raging Bull. I don't know if I said that, but Raging Bull's in there. I mean, fuck, The Last Temptation of Christ. I mean, give me a break. I mean, this guy's one yeah. of the, the great writers. And even Bringing Out the Dead, which I think is a criminally underrated Scorsese film. So I dig it too, man. I think it's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. But, uh, I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the most important people of the 70s. And I said so, you know, when we did Hardcore. I think Hardcore is one of the more important films of the 70s. It never gets talked about stuff. I just think that Schrader is... He should be up there, just like Freakin'. He should be up there with the De Palmas and the uh, and those guys from the seventies, the Coppolas, and you know those guys. So, but he doesn't always mention in the same breath. It seems to be he, he seems to always come up when they start talking about Scorsese, but they don't talk about him on his own. It seems that much. So, kind of a shame. Uh, one last note, I'll just say, uh, interesting ending. That's all I'll say. Mm, what a fucking fantastic ending. That's all I'll say. But I'll kick it over to you. Um, kick it over to me in about in about uh, tw- 20 seconds can you talk for about 20 seconds sure I can talk in 20 seconds uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'll talk about but I'll talk about something <laughs> um, um, let's see here uh, grew up in Grand, uh, Paul Schrader grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan <laughs> he hung out with Metal Mikey in his Pope's nose <laughs> he certainly did uh, sorry fuck I'm trying to just give me one more sec here no, that's uh, no problem <laughs> I might have found it. Where are you? <laughs> are you trying to get that screen cap? I got it, man. I got it. <laughs> Here we are. Nice. Just, Here we are. Just shoot it over to me. Yeah. So, okay. Why don't I take over then as I'm finding it? Um, uh, totally bringing it to a halt trying to find these. Oh, yes. There's one of Silver in a fucking in a bus costume from uh, a <laughs> French film I like. Um Okay, I don't know which one looks best. I'll just shoot a few over to you right now because I just snapped them in succession. Yeah, just shoot them over. I'll just use the best one or the one that looks that kind of captures the moment. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> wow, this is incredible right now. Um, okay, so anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, there we go. go. Transfer is going on. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Get excited, people. <laughs> Jesus. How many do you have there, brother? A couple more. We're done. <laughs> okay. Is everybody like that in their ears? There we go. All done. <laughs> All right, so Blue Collar. You've mentioned a lot of good points already. Um, this is a DVD. I do want to say to people that want to see it. It is out of print, if I remember correctly. In saying that, um, I believe it's... Uni- <laughs> oh, hey, now. <laughs> You'll hear me accepting them doing that noise, too. <laughs> Um, it's a film that I, I think it's uh, Warner has the archives. I think it's Universal has their vault collection, it's called. There wasn't a lot of very interesting stuff that they've put out through this vault collection, but this is one of them. Um, and I am going to buy it. So <laughs> I got to stop that. It's, um, almost, it's almost comical at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, uh, it's the sound those fucking glasses make when they popped out of Koto's head, man. Um, but it is in the vault collection, it can be bought. Um, Rob Allen, one of our good friends, uh, listeners of the show, uh, mentioned the soundtrack. It is a great score for the film, really bluesy, very uh, certainly very evocative of, I think, the mood that the film's trying to set. You know, blues is blue-collar working man's music, and you're singing the blues, man. You're singing about things, you know, that you've been done wrong and, and shit that's gone wrong and, and just the struggle, and that's really what the, the film is about. Um Unfortunately, the print I have is a bit soft and a little bit dark. The film, I, I got it. I, I'm curious to see when I get um, a DVD copy of it. And this should be fucking Criterion in my eyes. But anyway, that's that's just an aside. Uh, yeah, I think I think it, I think this deserves Criterion treatment. Yeah, totally, totally does, man. Um, so, it, you know, I don't know if it's just me. The film seems like it's, it's poorly lit. I don't know if he was trying to evoke. Um, Something like a noir kind of through blue collar working class desperation vibe, or if it's just not well lit, or it's the transfer I have. But um, I have to yeah. think almost it's a little bit of all of those and a nice helping of budget. Yes, there we go. I think it was only I can't remember how much it cost. Let me look that up while you're talking. Yeah. So that's one thing I would say, and I do got to say, man, I, I think you and I can, can say this: we love a good blue collar story. Mm-hmm. You know, no pun intended. You look at stuff that deals with the working class. I think it certainly comes down to stuff we can relate to more, and and you know, just I think there's certainly a, a human element that uh, that comes up uh, that we can really get behind uh, when it comes to that. Um, I will say though that despite the lighting shortcomings, the film's well shot and well edited. Of course, um, I especially think so with the stuff when we're first touring around the plant. It's almost like someone sort of, you know, slapped Argento, told him to calm down, and then kind of get this, you know, shot around the in between the the hoists and the cranes and around the men when they're first touring the uh, the plant. I thought that stuff looked really great. You know, I have to bring up that uh, that you, you remember that one blonde-headed bodyguard type, that blonde tough guy in the film. Oh, oh, you mean you mean a young Jim Jarmish? <laughs> that guy's real name is Rock Riddle. Rock Riddle. Yeah, he's in, been in a few films. He's in Blue Sunshine, Paradise Out, Paradise Alley. Oh, interesting. Blue Sunshine is when we might cover at some point. Yeah, so he's been in some stuff. Wow. Yeah, he's like a. Yeah, it's, there's two very blonde men in this film. Him and Ed Begley Jr. with a small part. Yeah, with a ponytail too. <laughs> Fucking ponytail, yeah. But this guy looks like Jim Jarmish uh, with more blonde than white. Um, <laughs> you know, a thing we, you know, Schrader being a writer, I think, firstly, first and foremost, above everything else, I think the thing that really leaps out to me is how, and you had mentioned this, how the dialogue feels very, very real. And just like some of the ribbing amongst the friends, like the shit about, you know, Pryor and Koto both get turns 
you know, slamming the other guy's uh, piece on the side, saying, man, she's fucking ugly. You know, and of course the guy definitely goes, she's not ugly, she's all right, she's good. You know, and just mm-hmm. kind of that stuff, it felt very real to me, which I liked. Um, yeah. I just, I, you, you want this stuff to feel real and not feel like, you know, it, it's kind of manufactured camaraderie. Yeah, the film feels very real altogether, except for one scene, but I don't want to give that away because I don't really want to, it's kind of a spoiler, so. One scene feels mm-hmm. very movie. Um, I think you know what I'm talking about. We'll talk about it off the air. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um, I don't remember what this quote meant now, so I'm not going to reference it. Well, go ahead um, and read it. Maybe I remember. Why don't you explain the situation? Oh, okay. Maybe I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, poorly lit film I talked about. Um, I love the moment, um, and I, I, I kind of wish in some ways the film had been more this than it, it turns into like this this blue-collar heist thing um, a little bit was I love the moment when Kaitel gets into bed and you can just tell he's exhausted. He's exhausted from work. He's exhausted from having the weight of the world on his shoulders and having to, the 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 never-ending crush of worrying about having all the answers for his family. Right, right. I really love that moment. It was a small moment in the film, but I really, really dug that. And the poster I posted up on our Facebook group is a fucking great poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like it a lot. Yeah, really great poster. Um, you talked about the scene with the, uh, the the phone call and the full phone call from with the union head. It was really just a really angering, you know, because you know that shit goes on. It's like, it's just, it's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Schrader, Schrader's a guy who who's proven in other films that he's very much at home using color. And in fact, you know, again, to get back to Mishima, you know, one of the most beautiful films ever put to film, uh, in this it's very much. And I think it's certainly intentionally decidedly drab and dreary color palettes, like Navy blues and tans. And it's very much kind of, you know, of that sort of working class kind of downtrodden, muddy, you know? Yeah. I was looking at some of the quotes in the film and, the really great moment. I forget about how good that scene is between the IRS man and Zeke. Oh yeah, it is good. You no, know, he says, "Yeah, I take home two ten a week." Uh, I guess I can quote the real quote here. He says, "I take home two ten, two ten a week, man. Goddamn, I got to pay for the lights, gas, clothes, food, every fucking thing, man. I'm left with about thirty bucks after all the fucking bills are paid. Give me a break, will you, Mister?" Yeah, I love that moment. And again, it's one of the moments where Pryor is really given a chance to shine um, dramatically, and he 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 does quite well with it, man. Yeah, really does quite well the, with it. At the end of that conversation, he's like, "Yeah, I'll know. I'll pay for it. If I had the Navy and Marines behind me, I'd be a motherfucker too." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's interestingly, and I think maybe it's commentary on a society that that kind of the dream is is shattered now. Is you see all these guys have the the Kennedy pictures uh, up on their walls. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a sign of it. You know, a dream that's just not going to come to pass. Uh, unfortunately. Um, one thing I didn't expect, I, you know, I expected to see a great film, well written, well acted, poignant. Uh, I did not expect to see a dildo sword fight with Harvey, Harvey Keitel and Yafikoto. <laughs> and we're just lucky this didn't happen like in Keitel's later career because he would have just took his pants off. Yeah, he would have, man. I'll tell you, I want someone to make a gif of the dildo sword fight with these two in this film. <laughs> be incredible, man. All you need is that dildo to be the ultimate moment in cinema. You just need that dildo sword fight. And Al Pacino dancing from cruising in the background. Oh, God. If someone can make a Photoshop or do something, I'll let them program an episode on my end. That's amazing. Um, wow. Or if they ever, you know, are at a horror hound at one of these conventions, I'll buy them dinner, man. <laughs> Fuck. 
Because um, I think, ironically, Kaitel and Kotor are wearing tank tops in that scene, too. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if Kaitel's even wearing a shirt in that scene, but who knows? He, he might not have been, yeah. <laughs> um, I love the scene when they come down from their coke binge and just the confessional... You know, I think, you know, full disclosure, I used to do a lot of drugs and, and you know, the come down's much worse than the going up, uh, unfortunately. And yeah. I just love that moment because it's kind of a raw, um, a raw realization on their part. And that's when, again, when, when um, a great moment from prior when he says, you know, I promised my wife every, this and that. And it goes, I, I, it kills me to know I'll never be able to give it to her, basically. Um, no matter what I do, you know, I've always been bad with money and I've tried to fix it. And it just, again, it felt very real and it felt very heartbreaking and very poignant. So, you know, good stuff. Yeah. And I and I love that that scene in the background, there's that, that looming over everything. And I wish they had used this more if I'm going to critique. Um, during that come down scene, there's like the looming huge billboard for Pontiac in the background. It's like that shit looms over them everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish that had been more kind of looming car plant stuff uh, and they were outside. Like it just they couldn't get away from it, kind of the oppression of it. Right. Um so yeah, you already mentioned the worst disguises in the history of cinematic robberies. So I won't go over any more. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um what was what was great that Smokey decided to class up his house with this nude chick with great tan lines. And it's it's very much like a like a, not even like a Playboy pose, it's very much like a like a hustler or swank or wee. Type pose, nice for like the we <laughs> or hawk or cherry, uh, to name a few more. Jesus, uh, <laughs> hanging, you've been hanging out at truck stops. What the hell's going on, man? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but uh, got, a, got a regular lot lizard or something going on over there. Yeah, no, no doubt, man, no doubt. Um, it was more in line with that, and he's got it in this really classy, regal, like gold, fancy picture frame on his wall. Didn't you? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. That was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I already kind of touched this. I wish there was more Detroit shots, more sort of industrial shots, kind of outside this, these small men in the in kind of the face of uh, you know the industry. Uh, we already talked about Jarmish, the you know the golden boy in the red coat. Great scene too. It should be said with uh, with Kodo, who goes from kind of humanity to to really having and it's a great scene and it's a great kind of uh, like a buddy scene. Like he does something that you know it's it's really like. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much, but it's a really great scene that kind of you, the real guy moment that you just kind of really, yeah. you get behind. Yeah. Um, and then this, the, the fallout from that scene, it's got a really effective kind of dreadful synthy score or like a piece of music to it. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll get chills whenever I see blue paint again. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say no more. I'll say no more. Really well done. Really well done. Um, you know, I got a shit can Kaitel a little bit here. He goes, at a moment of desperation, he goes, I don't know. Maybe I'll go go to Canada. Couldn't be any worse. <laughs> yeah, thanks, pal. <laughs> yeah. Like we're some, you know, snow-covered asshole of the universe. Um, it's always been like America's, you know, like little brother. And uh, the way they perceive it, you know, it's always been like America's little brother. Like you can get away from all your troubles if you go to the asshole end of the earth, which is Canada for some weird reason. I have no yeah. idea. Seems yeah, like, I know. Seems like, uh, you know, I just don't. I don't understand why I was always. I guess. It's, I guess it was just some kind of inside joke for so many years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, they were in Detroit, so and you know, Windsor's right there. So I guess. Yeah. It makes yeah. He sense. was looking across at one point at Canada. Yeah. Because yeah, you can't. No, I mean, I know up there, you can look right across to Canada. You know, right there in some areas of Detroit. So. Yeah, it's like uh, Detroit Nine Thousand. There's a lot of great Detroit Windsor action there too. So. Um, 
I, I love that, you know, when things start to turn south, as inevitably they do with, with heists and films, or else what's the point? Um, we do genuinely worry because these are normal men. They're not kind of the Alain Delons, like the savvy criminals of the world. These are just desperate men, average working class men who get thrust who thrust into something. So I really like that. Like it really starts to feel like you get that kind of unease and dread uh, yeah, as you're yeah. watching this stuff unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just I kind of got chills um, at the freeze frame at the end of the film uh, with the voiceover. Uh, I, I quite liked it. I don't know if you did as much as I did, but I quite liked it. I do. I do. It's it's really it's just an, a very interesting way to end a film like this. It's very mm-hmm. very odd, but a good kind of odd. Had a lot of odd this week when it came to cinema. It felt a little bit rushed in, um, and an uncharacteristic. But I think I think maybe if he could have segued into it smoother because he had hinted at it with with the voiceover stuff. I just think it wasn't quite as smooth as it could have been, but I still quite found it quite chilling and quite effective. You can get, you can get pretty deep with the ideas of the ending. You know, you can get, you can definitely, you can even go the, the raceway with black and white and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You can get pretty deep with the, the ending if you want to, but I, I don't want to, obviously we don't want to discuss it on here too much because I think it would give away so many things that the film talks about. And for those who haven't seen it, I don't know if we should, you know, no, about yeah, it. we, we were not going to get into that, but, uh, yeah, that's it, man. All right. Uh, all right, I'm going to go with my make or break. I'm going to go with any scene involving the three leads. I think it's really interesting that these three couldn't get along on set because you would never be able to tell that by the finished product. I think that these three look like they've like they known each other forever. <laughs> that's yeah. my interpretation of it anyway. They just felt like they were a unit. And, uh, you know, I could see that. I know Harvey Cattell can be... From what I've read, he can be a little difficult on set and uh, and stuff, you know. But he's just a passionate guy, and uh, you know that 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 comes across sometimes. And of course, Richard Pryor, there's no telling what the hell he was doing on set. No, <laughs> you got to remember this is you know Richard Pryor we're talking about, a man who you know was hell bent on destruction for many years of mm-hmm. his of his life and everything. So you know, so he's an interesting guy. And of course, Jeff Cotto, I don't know what he's like personally, but I've never really heard anything bad about him from anybody. So. He seems to be one of those guys everybody kind of likes. Uh, anyway, I just found that all the scenes with them were really poignant and really good. And I really like those quite a bit. And I like how Cattell's character kind of was like the the white uh, Jewish guy trying to hang with the black No, guys. no, he was Polish. He was oh, Polish. Oh, was Polish in the film. That's right. Yeah, there was, a, there was an I on the end of the name instead of a Y. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. There you go. That was the, the ski. <laughs> that's right, man. Ski wall with the Y is yeah, yeah. Jewish and I is Polish. Yeah, I work with a, a Polish guy who's got a ski at the end of his name. He's a, he's a crazy bastard too, man. For Chicago, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, the uh, I, I like that, uh, but to me, it's, it's kind of like that precursor to some of these guys that hang out. You know, want to be cooler than they are sometimes, so they hang out what they what they think are the cool guys and stuff. And I like that dichotomy because what ends up happening in the film with the relationships and stuff, it kind of works out because you know you get these three buddies and stuff, and then you know these things go down and stuff. And I don't want to talk about it too much. I just don't want to give too much away, but. Uh, I just really like that, you know, to me, Cattell's like the hanger-on and then the, in the relationship and stuff. But I, I just like all the scenes with the three guys. And I think there's a really sad moment, a sad, sweet moment when they kind of realize on a friend level what they need to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, without getting into too much. Right. Um, it, is anyway. a, it is a sad moment. You're right. I mean, it's a, it's a totally sad moment. You know, it's as it's sad as a male-female relationship. Totally. Um. <laughs> I was just thinking about something crazy. Even I was thinking about that scene with the, the hookers and stuff. I'm like, I guess you would be that tight, you know, if you're running around butt naked and doing dildo fights with each other. Yeah, you got to be close friends, man. You got to be pretty tight. Yeah. I'd have to, 
<laughs> I'm not going to break up anymore. My MVT, I'm going to give this one to Richard Pryor. I can't give it to him for a lot of his films because some of his films are obviously vehicles like The Toy and and I uh, can't remember. There's another one that I like quite a bit where he drives a bus. I think it's called Bustin' Loose maybe or something like that. Oh, he drives a bus with a bunch of kids in it and stuff. I always like that film. But, um, you know, he made a lot of vehicle films too. But I, I just think the guy could have been, I think he could have been great. I mean, he's always going to be a great stand-up comedian, a great personality, an interesting guy. Uh, but I think he could have been, uh, you know, a great actor who just unfortunately got kind of got caught up in, you know, vehicles as well. So, you know, he did some good stuff. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, he also did some pretty atrocious stuff. So they get that, but I, I'm going to give it to him for this. Cause I really think Zeke Brown is a great character. I think he speaks a lot for, you know, I think Schrader was channeling a lot of the working man material through Zeke Brown. So he does a lot of great moments, a lot of dialogues and stuff like that. Uh, and my score for the film is a solid eight out of 10. It's a great film. Uh, I love it a lot. I mean, it, I think it's really, really good. And it, it for it's, I think it's 113 or 118 minutes, or whatever. But it moves quick, mm-hmm. and it's really, really good. And you know, you're right. I just noticed when you started talking about, it, there's not a lot of outside establishing shots. It's like they shot the whole movies in, uh, you know, indoors. It's really strange. In the house, in the factory, in the bar. Yeah, it's really weird. They didn't shoot a lot of establishment shots. I don't know if that was a budget thing or maybe it was a non-union film and they couldn't get away with it or something. I don't know. You never know, but. You know, you're making a non-union film and you got unions in the film. You you might want to be careful and stay hidden. <laughs> Fucking right. So that's my thoughts on Blue Collar. Okay, my make or break are just the scenes of kind of domestic desperation when when the guys get a chance to really show the squeeze that's been put on them. Um, I really like those scenes. Again, I can kind of relate to it. You know, I don't think I'm certainly living as desperately as, as they are, but uh, nonetheless, you know, we've all kind of been there. When you have a roof over your head and you have a, mouths to feed, um, those oh. moments are really hard, man. You really, you know, you really feel the weight of the world. Yeah, I think they all do a great job of of, of uh, those scenes. Let me say, I never had children when I was, but you know, barely getting by. But uh, I can remember when my wife first got married, man. I mean, between the two of us, we'd bring home like, you know, two or three hundred dollars a week, and somehow we managed on that. And looking back on it, I have no idea yeah. how we did it. I don't, I don't, I still don't know. Me and my wife talk about it all the time. We don't know how we did it. No, I know. It's one of those things that's like. My wife and I, uh, kind of making light, but also kind of serious. She, when we were dating, she had a single bed. Somehow, man, I'd sleep over. We'd both fit in that bed. <laughs> I know. You, you find a way to do shit, man, when you have to do it. You, you just took the word. When I, when I first met my wife, I had a, a small single twin bed. And somehow, oh, yeah. somehow, me and her and a, and a black Labrador slept in that bed. I have no idea how we did that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. But I always had a thing where... She'd sleep on the inside closest to the wall because this way I'm taller, man. I could stretch my arm and drape it off the bed at least, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, get you, know, str- you find you get, a way. Yeah, you get strategic. You know, you start figuring <laughs> out things. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Um, my um, MVT is the setting. I really love this blue-collar Detroit setting. I think Detroit's a cinematic city because of the inherent kind of desperation, the downtrodden nature of this, the um the city and its people who who have a resiliency, though not you know despite. Um, all the shit that goes on. Um, my score for the film is an 8.5, man. A fucking oh, great film. Really, really, really rock solid. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for Schrader, but uh, I think this kind of shows why. It's, I think, worth anyone's time who, you know, wants to see a really great character piece. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love doing this show is, is um, you know, films like this that, you know, outside of maybe the usual kind of rompy Indonesian stuff that we do, but <laughs> it gives us an opportunity to chew on some really great stuff and some great performances from some unsung character actors. Yes, indeed. 
It's it's a I can't argue, man. I mean, I didn't give it eight point five. I gave it an eight, but it's that's still a great score. It, it's a it's a it's a really good film, and everybody should you know either own it or definitely make the effort to see it. I'm actually surprised it isn't on the streaming sites. Really, I'm actually kind of surprised by that, but I don't know why I thought it was, but it seems like it should be. Either way. All right, that is our thoughts on Blue Collar. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about an interesting little piece of cinema known as The Shout. So uh, we'll be back right after this. Are you still looking for that special someone? Have other dating websites let you down? Hi, I'm Craig Fritz Rualdo, host of LoveFinder.com, telling you to listen to Show Show at showshow.podomatic.com. Too many websites all in one sentence? You betcha. But Show Show is a podcast about movies for people like you don't know what love is listen to show show every week at showshow.podomatic.com or search show show all one word in the itunes store funky over here man doing a little dance a little, little dancing around here <laughs> in, my, in my boxer shorts <laughs> nice it's like uh you, ever, you saw that video for um the ant word when he's he's dancing oh, yeah. and she's sitting down looking at it oh yes yes <laughs> it's like that <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> all right so our next film is the shout from uh 1978 um uh, no i don't think this is spoilery this pretty much tells you what the film's about even though it doesn't Really kind of well, yeah, it does. This film was directed by how you say his name, Jerzy Skolomowski. Skolom- uh, Jerry Skolomowski, Skolomowski, maybe. Yeah, Skolomowski. Yeah, he's definitely Polish. Yes, uh, he definitely is. <laughs> so, uh, kind of an underlooked, uh, overlooked, maybe director and film talent. You know, he's yeah, he, he fucking wrote Knife in the Water. So, I mean, he's, it's funny, you know, both films this week feature guys who are more known for their writing than the directing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this one is of a, the plot is a traveler named by the name of Crossley uh, forces himself upon a musician and his wife in a lonely part of Devon and uses uh, aboriginal magic he has learned to displace his host. I don't think they need that spoilery because it's just, <laughs> there's no way to explain this film simply. <laughs> so this is a bizarre film and I kind of wanted to get it back out there. It was kind of brought back to my attention by somebody and I can't remember who it was. And I remember seeing it on cable, uh, very young and thinking, you know, it was one of those kind of films that just kind of freaked me out. I really, and the reason why is just because it's 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 just it's just very different. So um, I kind of wanted to break. It. It's one of those films where you kind of want to because you have this podcast now. Because we have this podcast, we have this ability to kind of re- remind people of movies they might have forgotten about or maybe never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's actually really nice to do that. So I kind of wanted to turn people onto this who hadn't seen it or remind people about it if they had forgotten about it. So uh, you had seen it before, I believe. So uh, yes, but, but I'm interested to talk about it a little bit and see what you got out of it. So. Yeah, this is a good film. I caught it on TCM last year or the year before um, for the first time. Um, I remember reading somewhere about it. I can't remember where now, but uh, it sounded interesting. And of course, uh, you know, it was. I think it was part of their their TCM Underground set they do. So maybe that's what it was. I just thought, well, it's going to be a bit bizarre, so I'll, I'll watch it. And it, it certainly is. 
uh, bizarre film. And it's got, it should be said, you know, fairly interesting small cast. Alan Bates, who, you know, you and I talked about off the air, and I kind of mentioned one half of who he looks like on the air last week. You know, totally the spitting image of uh, if Brian Cox and Oliver Reed ever had a love child, it would be Alan Bates. Uh, you know, I love Brian Cox and Oliver Reed, but I would never want to see them making said love child. Uh, so yeah, 1978, both films. Uh, and you know, another f- thing that's kind of an interesting, sad connection is that there's no DVD out right now for this one. Yeah. Um, I think there's a region two, if I remember correctly in doing some research, but again, it's one that shows up on TCM. Uh, there are other ways to get it. And of course, maybe CDB can get it if you drop them a line. Um, I thought it was interesting that in the opening credits, whenever I see something that doesn't, you know, it's not your usual best boy, key grip, this, that, uh, the other, uh, whenever I see kind of credits that seem kind of strange, um, like there was that one hair done by like Hollywood Lemaire or something. Remember we watched the film? Yeah. Or hair, something like that. I think it was in uh, Roller Skate one uh, with Bill. But anyway, one of the, yeah, Roller Boogie, that's right. But in this one, there's a credit that is for theme and incidental music. Very bizarre and I guess very apropos considering the film we were about to watch like I said about as, as American as blue collar as this film is very much as British as that is it opens up early on with these this kind of British countryside and um, you know it's very apparent that it's going to be an, an off-kilter strange distinctly European film um, that you know has a cricket match uh, has kind of a bookend piece to the film so yeah it's uh you know certainly interesting in that regard and you know tim curry's in it a guy that you know he's got a few kind of iconic credits um you know uh it rocky horror and uh was it uh not legion um excuse me a legend i should say was yeah. it legend you know yeah so as i was saying i, I really wish tim curry had have worked more you know he did some pretty iconic performances but he's a guy who kind of kept to himself did his own thing um but i wish he had done more standard stuff because i always thought he had a great presence and i would have liked to have seen him just do some instead of some of the <laughs> everything he's known for is really fantastical um i would like to have seen him just to kind of try his uh you know, try himself with something maybe a little more normal, just more straightforward, dramatic. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he does interesting things, and he's he's a very talented guy because he can do comedy and drama. He can do everything, and uh, and you know he's really good with the makeup. Obviously, he can wear makeup really well and stuff. And he's had some truly, you're right, some totally memorable performances, especially in in makeup and in drag, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's definitely he's one of my favorite actors just because I think he's just so unique uh, in what he does. Even though he does make some bad movies sometimes, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yes, but I like him a lot. He's very young, very young in this film. Yeah, he is. Um, but yeah, uh, so I love that um, you know as. Uh, <laughs> Um, Bates is, you know, he, he's in the scorekeeper's thing uh, booth with Curry, and I love that just to add kind of dramatic effect, he says, because he's recounting the story to him, he says, every word I'm about to tell you is true. Yeah. And then he kind of kind of stares out into space, and a bone drops out of his jacket, and it's like, if that's not ominous for us and Tim Curry, yeah. I don't know what is. Because <laughs> he's got this great way of staring off, like staring through you, and kind of as if he's half meditating, half recollecting yeah, did he have like two different colored eyes? He might very well have. It wouldn't have surprised me. Seemed like one of them was a different color and stuff. But yeah, he was very, very ominous. And uh, there's a lot of bones falling out of pockets in this movie. <laughs> no pun intended. And in both ways, certainly literally and figuratively. Yes. Um, you know what's strange about this film is for some reason, I remembered it taking part, uh, or excuse me, taking part, taking place in a completely different time. I pictured it taking place from the first time I watched it, uh, like the 1800s or something. 
then I watched. I thought, no, that doesn't make sense. There's cars. This, yep. you know, I don't know why. I guess maybe because it's English countryside. I don't know what it was. Um, it could have been. I mean, it's very remote, so I can see where you might get that. Yeah, not like there's a um, lot of television or a lot of modern things going on. I don't even know if there's any electricity because I don't remember if there's any scenes at night in the house or anything. I guess there was. I don't can't remember. <laughs> well, sorry about that. I was trying to stifle it. I clearly didn't do a good enough job. Um, I think there's some some subtle hypocrisy or commentary on the kind of the hypocrisy of churchgoers. You know, when he comes back from church, uh, that being John Hurt, who's very good and very young in this. Uh, and Susan York plays his wife. And she says, "Well, how was church?" And he's like, "Oh, it's great." And meanwhile, he was, you know. Out uh, taking a roll in the hay with Carol Drinkwater. Yeah, John John Hurt, that sex symbol of the seventies. Let me tell you. Yeah, no kidding, man. And there's even that scene where they talk about water versus wine, which I think is kind of a, a play on the whole Jesus thing. Yeah, um, because it's it's referenced in a scene with Crosley. Do you want wa- Do you want wine? No water will be fine. Yeah, he says. Uh, Bates' performance in this is very, very good and very interesting because it almost seems like certain textures and sounds and tastes, and, and just Crosley on the whole, he, or Bates, who plays Crosley on the whole, very specific movements when he does certain things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just kind of gets like almost like this shamanistic Starman performance. Yeah. Bates would have been one of those guys, I think, who would have, you know, he'd obviously be in the Harry Potter movies now and everything else. He's one of that kind of batch of English actors who... You know, it was really, really good. Uh, he didn't have quite the career that some of the other ones did. Uh, like, I was thinking about that because I was thinking about Jim Broadbent in this film. He's, he plays the kind of maniacal uh, cricket player who decides to get naked all of a sudden. And yeah. you, you think about Jim Broadbent now and you think, Jesus, you know, what a way to start. Yeah. <laughs> Showing your coin purse, man. <laughs> yeah. In the pouring rain. It's very strange. But, uh, yeah, he would, you know, Bates would have probably been in these Harry Potter movies. And, you know, it seems like it's where all the, the royal-renowned English actors end up nowadays. Yeah, I know for sure. But this is, sure. you're right. When you said, uh, when we were talking about it before we started doing the, doing it for the show, you talking about how it's kind of got like a, what you, you compared him to Oliver Reed and somebody else, right? Oliver Reed and Brian Cox. Yes, yes. And he is very similar to Brian Cox in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people There's a certain confused. gravitas when he speaks. Yeah. And he, in the, uh, the cover of the DVD, the Region 2 DVD, he even looks like Brian Cox and he doesn't even look like Alan Bates. It looks like Brian Cox, but. They are similar in some ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's definitely um, some Oliver Reed in this, too. <laughs> yeah, because of some real wide-eyed, wild man stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because there's the scene when he's at the, the dinner table. He's talking about killing his children. And this is not a plot spoiler. Within two weeks of birth, and it's it's their right. It's the law that within the first two weeks, they're allowed to kill them. Uh, and he's kind of rambling on. And it, it's just this strange kidney removal by magicians talk. And it's all this almost kind of non-sequitur unsettling talk early on that you know, it's such a fantastical, strange movie, but you kind of have to, like, put yourself in Hurt's place. You're like, man, what am I getting myself into with this motherfucker? Like, you know, just very strange, strange stuff. And, you know, of course, the irony in all this is Hurt being a man with clearly a lack of faith or a lack of respect for faith who deals with sound and its manipulation in his job. And this is someone um, who has faith of a different kind and certainly manipulates sound much more uh, powerfully than he does. Right, right. Um, yeah, so um, I, I got to say, you know, every time I see English beaches, they're unbelievably undesirable as far as me wanting to go there, but they're incredibly cinematic. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, they always look kind of cold. Cold and fucking jagged rocks everywhere and yeah, but just that, not fun. But, but they, they make look, like... Yeah, they just look great. They look fantastic, much like the end of Harry, um, just a Harry Kane. And neither woman have been right. Michael Caine, not Harry Brown, uh, but of course, um, 
Bernie Casey did the Hitman. Fuck. We did it on the show. Quinn picked it. Get Carter? Get Carter. I'm sorry. That's right. The end of that at the beach. Again, another kind of unforgiving British beach. Um, but yeah, I just I love the way they look. And I love the effect when, when we, we, we get the titular shout. We kind of see these animals buckle. Like their legs just flop and they drop over. And I think it does a great deal for trying to convey the power of, of the moment and what's happening. Yeah, and I don't know enough. I didn't do any research really into the aboriginal magic that is supposedly in this. I don't know if that's actually a real legend or I don't know. I'm going to look that up now. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. Um, some great overall, just kind of fantastic lawn, shot, lawn shots. Wow, what a roll. Uh, long shots of the landscape. Again, just I think, you know, it does a good job to show us how fucking kind of isolated they are. Um, but it just they're just kind of beautiful and it kind of adds something to the film, certainly. Um, boom, boom, boom. Sorry, I was just looking at a note. Just again, it's kind of about her and just his studio is kind of a contrast in science versus religion. Um, which is, you know, he's someone that's that's you know, goes to church and he works there, but you know, kind of an interesting uh, juxtapositioning. Um, there's a great moment for the for the film, but certainly not a great moment for uh, <laughs> Hurt when there's this empowerment by York's character. She kind of almost embodies um, Bates in the moment, and she kind of throws. She's really challenging towards her husband. Like she, uh, she throws a shoe at him, and she kind of pushes him around, and is demanding things, and and hurt clearly kind of off put by this uncharacteristic, kind of confrontational, challenging behavior, and you can kind of see Bates, the puppet master, um, kind of smirking at the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it, the film had a little bit of a straw dogs quality in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, not to the extreme that uh, straw dogs goes, but uh, it had a little bit of that feel with the husband wife relationship. And then it also in some ways felt like a very Kubrickian film. And in, in some ways it was kind of glacial sometimes and, and things. It's a very simple movie, but it's, it takes this kind of preposterous premise. And I say it's preposterous because it's, it's, it's going to be a hard sell for some people. I think some people are going to think this film's kind of ludicrous in some ways. Because it's about a man shouting. Yes. Really. I mean, essentially that's what it's about. So it's, it's a little bizarre to say the least. And it's a little existential in some ways and, and things like that. But again, I think that plays for what, what it's good for too, because it, 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 it it's kind of like nothing. I can't really compare too many films to this film. No. It's kind of unique in that way, and it's always kind of fun to talk about these unique movies. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, like, there, there's a really great moment I never noticed the first time I'd seen. It. I don't even know what's necessarily trying to be said, but I liked it when it's we keep showing this this picture in his studio or his lab, and then it, it's like a moment of black and white where um, where we see uh, his wife Suzanne York down on all fours, and it's like it's like that freeze frame where she's like the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that really meant. I don't know well enough to say if that was an iconic picture or, or, or not about creationism or, or what it was. But again, it just kind of struck me. There's a lot of things that kind of strike you about this film that you can't really. Well, there's that one moment too where Susanna York gets on all fours to shut yes. to shut a door. It's just, it's like what the hell was that about? Yeah, there's some stuff you can't really articulate. You just you know it's almost like you're trying to f- reach around in the fog for what it all means in a good way though. Um, I'm gonna go on a limb here and say that you. Uh, you like Susanna York in this film uh, for for much more shallow reasons than her acting. Uh, yeah, well, I've always liked her anyway, but uh, yeah, I do like her in this film. It's very very milfy. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, she's you know she's she's attractive in this film, and I like the fact that you know she's one of those '70s women who don't believe in undergarments. 
No, no, definitely not. Um, my last note is I just, I love, and there's a few moments of this. I love, love, love the look on Hurt's face when he's told something matter-of-factly by Moore upon a return visit from uh, Bates. Oh, yes. It's like, that's got to be the worst fucking thing you can be told as a husband. And he's told it, and just to look on his face is just spot on. Is that during that weird moment where she's like, licking his own hand yes 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 and this film almost feels i was gonna say um polanski-esque with some of the bizarre kind of sexual awkwardness well that would make sense because you know the director and, and polanski are were pretty tight so yeah yeah exactly but it is bizarre sexually the film the film is it's, it's a challenging movie it's it's very sexual it's very uh uh What's the word I'm looking for? There's a lot of machismo in it because uh, uh, Hurt's character, even though he's he's a man, he's kind of a he's he's a lot like Dustin Hoffman's character in Straw Dogs. He's a very reserved kind of man. Yeah, uh, not a, not exactly a good man, obviously, but he's still very reserved and very you know in some ways very shallow and stuff. But he's very you know very quiet and stuff. And then this Bates character comes. He's very masculine in a lot of ways, very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And you get that dichotomy of the aggressiveness versus this passiveness, and it, it, it that always works to me because you know that's part of being a male is you know you're going to deal with people who are more aggressive i don't care how aggressive you are you're going to eventually find somebody who's more aggressive than you are oh and just how threatened because hurt in his own little fiefdom is kind of can strut around and be the man but when someone an alpha male comes along you really see the frustration with him that he he's getting dominated in his own house by another man yeah and and like i say i saw this movie when i was young so it was really it was really confusing it's like seeing uh, a Clockwork Orange. I saw a Clockwork Orange way too early, and you know, you see those films early. You know, obviously, I don't really want my son to see them because you know, I just, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be the good dad here, and I think he can wait. But you know, this is a different time. You know, I was able to sneak out or sneak up in the middle of the night, and turn on the cable television. You know, this is before anybody really thought about that kind of stuff. And you see these films, these odd films. And this is one that stuck with me for years because it was just so fucking weird. It is very strange. Let me ask you, since you met, brought up. Um Clockwork Orange. I was at Best Buy today, and they had some great stuff on for seventy nine Blu-rays. But I, I thought to myself, is there a good uh, Clockwork Orange Blu-ray out there? It's it's good. The, I have the Blu-ray, but I bought the Blu-ray basically because there's a commentary on there with uh, Malcolm McDowell, and he mm-hmm. talks a lot about working with Stanley Kubrick and stuff. And that's a it, it's a good transfer. It's not the, a perfect transfer, but I don't know if you'll ever see a, a, like a perfect transfer of that movie anyway. So. It's worth seven ninety nine just for the commentary alone. No, it wasn't seven ninety nine, or else I would have picked it up sight unseen. It was um, I didn't see one there, and I thought, oh, I gotta ask Sammy or anyone if they know of a good uh, region two, region one, whatever it is. Because I, I definitely that's you know one I want to pick up. I'm not sure if that film's ever really been remastered for high def, but it does. Uh, the Blu-ray does look great. I think. Uh, I mean, it looks better than any other version of Clockwork Orange I've ever owned. So, and it's got some. It's got, it's got some nice documentaries too. It even shows the uh, the area where he shot it and stuff, and how it's still. You know, they re- they revisit the sets where he shot the film in London, and it's really interesting to see those places uh, now because they still look very similar. Oh wow! I got to see it. I I'm still working off the old cardboard case one. Oh yeah, That's, I used to have that one too. I got rid of that one after the book came out. <laughs> There's certain films that that need the upgrade. That's one of them. I, I, I would yeah. advise everybody to upgrade. So, but I just like uh, Kubrick's not obviously around to do commentaries, and he wouldn't have done them anyway. But uh, I love whenever there's a commentary track on one of the films because. Uh, it uh, kind of gives me some more insight into the guy, and obviously, you know, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, if not my favorite filmmaker. So, there you go. Yeah. So sorry to get off track, but it was just kind of topical. You brought yeah. that up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that 
you know, the discussion between Bates and Curry in the beginning, if you, if you get sucked in right then and there, I think you're along for the ride pretty much. I think that's the moment where if you get sucked into what's going on there and some of the visuals that are going on taking place and stuff, and I don't know if cricket will suck everybody in, but it might. I mean, cricket's obviously not very popular here in North America. I don't know. Well, is, is it popular in Canada? No, I mean it's popular with um, like some immigrants, like people here that they come from a British culture or, or Indian, you know, people that have, have played at West Indies. Mm-hmm. Um, so amongst them, it's certainly popular, but amongst uh, people that that didn't have any affiliation, uh, no, it's right, not really popular. Right. Um, we there's a little cricket here, and in, in where I'm from, uh, there's uh, some colleges that have cricket teams, but uh, obviously it's not very popular. But it, it does exist here. I mean, we do know people. I've seen people play it. It's an odd game, but I've played once. I saw some Indian guys playing. I said, "Hey, man, like, let me explain this to me. Let yeah. me see how this works." And uh, yeah, got. I looked the part of the fool, certainly. <laughs> uh, the film also has some similarities to De Palma's Blowout in some ways, and I think it might just be the sound thing. Mm. But but I felt some similarities with the the sound and the way they kind of build things with sound. And uh, let me just say, John Hurt has a not very good shout. There's a moment. <laughs> there's a moment where he shouts, and it sounds like uh, a pig just got raped. Yes, by, but, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you know, but I'm wondering if those lambs. Uh, you think that was real? I think those are real. How do you pull that off? Otherwise, I mean, yeah. unless you prop up some really good fake ones with rubber legs and like you shoot it, like you got someone. No, how how would you do that? Because you'd have to get like have them kind of propped up with like fish line. I don't, and I, then the second way someone says roll, you just you draw, let go of the fish line. I don't know, man. That's I have to believe like off screen somebody was shooting lambs and uh, you know with like a you know just shooting them or something. I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it's a it's a striking image. It is uh, a very stunning image, and it, it's a striking moment when you know you finally hear. The shout, uh, the proverbial shout, and in this case, and uh, it's very interesting the way it's handled and stuff. And again, it could come off as very kind of silly if you really think about it. But I think it's the pacing and the filmmaking that they kind of build it. Because let's, let's let's be honest, if this film was made nowadays, the shout would happen way too often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I think when you say it is a silly premise, but I think you have to get behind the fact this is an off-kilter film, so you're dealing with an off-kilter premise. Um, and you do have to buy some things, but I think if you buy those things, then you'll certainly be rewarded. Because I don't think of it, I don't, it doesn't take you out of it because I think it's done quite well. But if you're not going to get behind it, then you're going to be like, this is fucking ridiculous. Right, right. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Bates character, he adds, he's uber creepy in this film, first of all, but he adds a lot of heaviness just by being in the film. There's, the way they set him up and stuff is just so heavy that every time he kind of pops up, he's just like this creepy, kind of like almost ghostly figure. Yep. Wearing this uh, like long coat, almost like a pea coat, almost. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's there's a lot of scenes where they're digging through his coat. His coat's always hanging somewhere, and even the way he drinks a glass of water is odd. That's what I mean. Very distinct movements throughout the film. The way he moves, his mannerisms, his ticks, the way he eats his meat, he drinks his water. It's all very specific and off. Yeah, well, they're having they were having duck and potatoes, right? Boiled goose. Oh, boiled goose. There we go. Yeah, he was very distinct the way he was eating and stuff. It was kind of making me hungry because he was eating so distinctly and kind of, you know, wiping off his knife. And I'm sorry I've upset your wife. You know, all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff, you know. It's just, it's just really just this odd behavior, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, if you accept that central conceit, you're right. Uh, and also you got to accept the central conceit that they would allow Bates into their house. 
Fucking right. <laughs> no, that one. That one's really odd too. Of course, nowadays we're talking about a different time. People probably are a lot more reserved and a lot more protective than they used to be in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, even now, I don't know how many people would meet a stranger uh, when they had a flat tire on their bike and say, "Oh yeah, just you know, you know, come on, stay at the house for a while. Come on in." I just don't know how many people are that open. I mean, I like to believe that everybody's that open and nice to each other, but I just don't really know. I think some people are going to have issues with that because a lot of the times I hear complaints about, you know, like horror films and everything else. People say, well, you know, that makes no sense because I would have never done that. I'm like, yeah, but you can't really think of it that way. Like, Look at the time. Everyone was hitchhiking. It was a different time. Yeah. And it was in the countryside where people are even more kind of simple and trusting and communal. Yeah. I think that, you know, the strengths of the film are it's visually pretty stunning and it, the acting is very, very good in the film. And it really keeps you engaged in the story. And it's a short film, too. It's only like 83 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says a lot, and it's 83 minutes and stuff, and it's just, it's such a unique concept that I think it's its kind of like a hidden gem from the 70s that a lot of people just don't talk about and stuff, and that's mainly the reason I want to talk about it. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a stunning, like, great film, but I think it's a very, very, very solid film from the 70s, and it also deals a lot with, you know, emasculating the male and and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We talked about that a little bit. I got that note down here that says emasculation and all these things. But, you know, you get those scenes where, you know, it's very straw dogs in that way. And it, it kind of deals with the male ego and, and I guess, you know, the big dick theory, you know, all that kind of stuff. You first posturing, things like that and stuff, you know, which I found very interesting. Just that scene that, you know, what's weird is maybe the most bizarre scene in the movie might be that scene where she's just sitting there licking his hand. Like a dog. She's very, like, like on his lap, like at the foot of him. Yeah, and he's just, you know, it's just a very odd moment, you know. But, the, yeah, the acting's really good. And it's hard to believe that John Hurt was only 38 years old in this because already at 38, he looked like he was 58. This guy has looked like he's 50 since the day he was born, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's one of those guys who kind of looks the same uh, throughout. You have to wonder about those guys, you know, those guys that just, you know, smoke and just throw caution to the wind, smoke and drink and just live forever, you know, because, you know, John Hurt's still working, you know, he's still out there. Well, I saw him last year in, as Peanut. In Old Man Peanut in 44-inch chest, which is a flawed film, but features some great performances from some great uh, British actors who can read the phone book and would be engaging like Ray Winston and uh, Ian McShane. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't seen that film yet. I keep meaning to watch that. I haven't got around to it. It's one of those ones that keeps eluding me. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, those are my thoughts on the shot right now. I want to hear what your uh, scores and uh, make or breaks and stuff are. Okay, uh, make or break was the Sunday lunch scene. That was the first one. When again, it was kind of this non sequitur, bizarre, <laughs> you know, ma- magician surgery without leaving any scars. I kill my children after two weeks. It's my right to do so. Scene. I think that really sets you and hurt and the, the whole family up for what's you know what's about to come. And I think it kind of just shows the situation we're all thrust into. MVT or the three principles. If this was a poorly acted film, uh, this film would be fucking. Terrible. Agreed. Terrible because you have three great actors. It works, and you have fun just watching them on screen. Yeah, because it relies um, on the acting more than it relies on anything. There's no real special effects or anything, other than some fancy no. shots. There's no special effects. So. Other than that lamb shot we talked about. Yep. Uh, score for the film was a seven point five. It was a film I, I gave a seven point two five the first time I saw it, but upon seeing it a second time, I liked it more. I think it's an interesting film. It's an odd film. It's one of those kind of elusive European films, much like I think. Um, although with all due respect to this, um, that kind of get, has to go in with another Polish filmmaker, Zulowski's Possession, where there's this elusive bizarreness and you can't quite grasp what's going on. You think you kind of have it. It's at the tip of your tongue, at the tip of your brain. Um, 
which makes for great interesting viewing and debate uh, with films. So yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you picked this film. It was one that, uh, you know, as I said, I also enjoyed, and, and I'm glad more people are going to hopefully seek this one out now because it is an interesting film. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, my make a break. I'm going to go with that scene between Bates and Curry at the beginning again. I think if you can, if you can take that in. Uh, I think you're in for the ride because I think it's a uh, it's a good ten minutes of the film or five or ten minutes of the film and stuff and it sets everything up and I think if you once you're sucked in if you if you're not sucked in by that moment you're probably not going I mean it's very dialogue driven but it's also very visual in a lot of ways but I think the film you're right it does rely on the acting and the dialogue scenes it's very very important and it talks about you know religion and all these things that you know as human beings that you know the difference between us and animals is that we question everything right so. So it deals with a lot of that. My MVT is going to be the concept. Uh, I just think it's this is one of the oddest uh, movies I think I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot, considering I've seen a lot of odd movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen a few odd things in my day. Uh-huh. <laughs> but this one's up there. It's a very odd movie. My score is just a little bit higher than yours. It's 7.75. I think it's a really good film, not a masterpiece, but certainly one of the more interesting films out of the 70s. Uh, and uh, this is a striking striking piece of work so i hope people do uh, check it out obviously they might have to go through some cd measures to get a hold of it but uh, it's worth your time if you can get a hold of it so definitely check out the shout or is they saying what are they saying canada the shout the shoot <laughs> the shoot <laughs> all right i have to get a canadian joke in there i feel like uh, cartel now <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right so we're going to take a short break and come back and knock some feedback out so we'll be back right after this for 2010, it's East Coast meets West Coast, bringing you all the best punk rock, hardcore, and everything in between. Stage dives and high fives with your host, Bill by Force. Massachusetts represent. And F13, a California love motherfucker. Stage dives and high fives. Coming soon to an MP3 player near you. Some feedback. We got quite a quite a bit. We've had some build up, obviously, over the last couple of weeks, but uh, we'll see how much of it we can knock out. If we don't get to it, we'll get to it the next week. We promise. So we'll see how it goes. It is one twenty three in the morning on a Tuesday, <laughs> on a yes. Wednesday morning, I should say. Yeah, technically, yeah. You know, and I still have to go to work. <laughs> I'll be glad when I'm off this uh, first shift thing. Get back to my normal hours. Man, I felt so bad for you last week. I sent you a message like, "Man, I'm not calling to talk. I just want to tell you how bad I feel for you." Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I can imagine. It was terrible. Uh, so let's get through it here with respect to our um, view, uh, listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one was uh, something Aaron had posted. Uh, there's a um, a link to get to Giovanni Lombardo Radice, of course, Italian cult actor, a role in James Bond 23. Um, I'll try to remember to post this. Uh, he needs a thousand signatures, and he's at 60, so he could use a hand. Um, let's... Uh, 
get them in there. I'll try to remember to post that link on our boards or Twitter or something. Um, so yes, there's that. And moving along to the next one. Uh, oh, you know what? We almost <laughs> almost ignored the one from the guy that got uh, passed over the first time. Ironically, yes. we apologize uh, for that. <laughs> yes, we do apologize for that. Let's uh, let's read it. Um, and again, it should be said. Uh, that sometimes we miss stuff. I know someone else said they sent us something in and we didn't get it, so we'll have to take a look. Um, oh, wait, so this one is from uh, Aaron, and it's not an Aaron we know, of course. Uh, so uh, Aaron says, hello, gentlemen. I've been listening to a few GGTMC podcasts, and I can safely say you both do a great job reviewing the films and highlighting their strengths and weaknesses. The Dollars Trilogy episode was a real treat as I hadn't seen these films for some time. But your discussions put me in the mood to want to see them again. I also appreciate how you look up additional information pertaining to the making of the film and those involved. The Martyr's Bonus podcast was spot on, as I'm a big fan of that film and don't hear enough good things about it. Now, I did listen to an older podcast in which you two covered Brotherhood of the Wolf. Now, I don't want actually just to cut the email off. Um, he brings up a question about the way we were referred to something in that film. And I hate to be obscure, but there's a reason we're obscure. Because it's kind of spoilery in a sense. I don't know if you would agree with that. Uh, yes, I agree. Yeah, it certainly is. So that's why we kind of referred to things the way we did. Um, in our opinion, certainly. Um, so he and, and then says, Anyhow, came up the great work between Bloody Good Horror, Chinstroker versus Punter, Outside the Cinema, and The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I finally found some movie-related podcasts to get me through my long work days. Aaron. Yeah. So Aaron, um, I guess, really, go ahead to Palaver for other great podcasts yes exactly and also yeah we we did know that question you said in there but i think it was you know we decided just not to go too far because we just don't it's just the way of the show again i'll say this because i say it all the time but uh really it was will who kind of did the non-spoilery thing i of course i don't really care if things are spoiled for me personally but uh i do agree that you know doing a show i don't want to spoil anything for anybody uh, obviously i mean i don't care personally myself if somebody spoils something for me but i understand the stance we take and uh, so we we try to we, we're very cryptic sometimes when we review films. So it is on purpose. We know we know sometimes it does kind of so it, it can come off as we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> but, which uh, yes, uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny because we even laugh about it sometimes. It's almost like we don't know what the hell we're talking about, but we actually do. <laughs> we just don't want to give anything away in case somebody is getting a chance to enjoy things for the first time. I just called Chinstroker versus Punter the other day and was listening because Mike had never watched a Kurosawa film until oh, they reviewed wow. film. Until they reviewed Rashomon. Well, that's my favorite. Yeah, and that was the first one he'd ever seen. And uh, I called and I said, you know, I'm both, you know, it freaks me out that you've never seen one. But at the same time, I'm also very jealous that, you know, he gets to watch all these Kurosawa films for the first time. Because I can remember the first time I watched a lot of these films. So, you know, it's interesting. You know, the first time you see things. So I don't want to take that away from anybody, you know. So that's why we didn't mention what we mentioned or what was mentioned there. Did we ever mention this thing from Rufus here, this Korean film blogathon? I don't think oh, we ever did. sadly no, we didn't. Um, Rufus of course is uh, the mighty Rufus, uh, the Korean film knowledge extraordinaire uh, man from V Cinema. And uh, he has I think a, him, him and James got a podcast too called Cinema Awesome. Did they actually do a podcast together? I know they're involved together with Cinema Awesome, but I, I think, didn't know if there was a podcast. I think they're going to do one. I think so. I'm not positive. Don't don't quote me on it, but I think they are. That would be a good show from two men who really know their shit. Yes. Um, it was, I think, more for an interior email, though, uh, just meant for us getting involved with a blogathon. I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just wanted to make sure there was something we didn't neglect to mention. 
So. Yeah, and I think we're trying to get around to it, Roof, but we're, I hope I can call you Roof. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, we're both jammed up with babies and so forth. Um, that sounds, in saying that, that sounds if you perverted wanna, and strange. Yeah, it does sound perverted and strange. <laughs> jammed up with uh, babies. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly. Uh, but, yeah, post something on our boards if you want to get people involved with the, the, the blogathon, certainly. Yes. Um, yes, so next one is, uh, I just, I don't, sorry? I'll read this one if you want me to. Uh, before you do, I just want to say, if I knew how to say thank you in Russian to good friend Heaven's Trash, I would. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, so that'll yes. be consumed later on today. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I'm looking forward to that myself. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so our next one is from uh, Will. Uh, this is another Will. This is Will is from Queens. So I think this is a new listener, actually. Or somebody who's never contacted us before. So he says, uh, hey, gents, let me first say that I'm a big fan. I bought DVDs on Amazon based solely on your recommendations. Exile being oh, wow. one that jumped instantly into my top 10 action films of all time. Maybe even fighting for a spot in my top 10 overall faves. Nice. I also have gotten a thrill when I heard you read emails from me previously. Oh, okay. So he has read some. We have read some of his emails. Apologies. I think one or two, if I remember correctly. Apologies. Uh, <laughs> get for you to a hundred and so many shows you kind of forget sometimes <laughs> especially because we record either really late in that night or really early in the morning yes so. yes if anybody knew the 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 hurdles we jumped to record the show they would be amazed Oof. that we still do it yeah especially with the babies and stuff and, and we still got many hurdles to come there's like many hurdles heading our way we don't even know what we're going to do yet so we'll see what happens anyway he says recently I bought another DVD on Amazon based on yours and Bill from OTC's take talking about it a lot. The film, a Serbian film. Oh good Lord and oh good Lord God in heaven. <laughs> I like to consider myself strong in mind and stomach, but this film got me where I live. The twist in the end wasn't shot wasn't a shot to the gut. It was a brick to the temple. The oh. film the film disturbed me. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate the film, but I didn't like it either. I don't think you're supposed to like this film. I don't really know what you're supposed to do with this film. I don't know why it hit me quite so hard seeing as you guys pretty much warned me this was not an easy watch. I own the DVD, but I very much doubt I'll ever watch it again other than to show people at parties when, they, when they've overstayed their welcome and I want them out. Uh, one last thing before I go, take a scalding shower and scrub myself with Brillo pads and Clorox. In the Sorcerer episode, you mentioned loving NARC. Is it possible to get a NARC 7-Up show at some point? Thanks, gents, for keeping your Pope's noses clean. Will from Queens. <laughs> Uh, that would be a good show, Narc Seven Ups. Oh, that'd be an amazing show! I'll tell you what, we do want to get the. I think once, uh, oh, let's just maybe quickly discuss it on air, Sammy. Once we get past Ladies Appreciation Month, and let's just get that out there now. Uh, May is Ladies Appreciation Month, as it always is. The first six women to call in their picks will get their picks. But why don't we maybe after that, um, maybe from June onward, try to get a. A customer, a customer. Wow, here we go. Uh, a listener episode up every month again, maybe, or, or you know, somewhat more frequently if we can. Yeah, let me let me let me address that. We've we've gotten into a situation here, and Will and I just kind of we always you know lament the fact that we used to. Those of you who've been listening for a long time, you know, we used to take listener picked episodes, and we've gotten away from that only because. We made so many promises of people being on the show, and you know, we got ladies appreciation month every year. And all these things, it's really kind of jacked our schedule up. So we're trying to work all the people in that we've tried to get on the show. And everybody that has ever talked about it, trust me, you're still on the schedule. It's just a matter of getting you in mm-hmm. and doing the time frame and stuff. And it's just, it's really difficult. Uh, I just want to put that out there. I mean, you guys, it, it is really difficult for us to find the time. And obviously, like Rupert, he hasn't been on the show in a while. And that's just because we're on a really wacky schedule right now. 
mm-hmm. and he's going to be back soon too. So he might be part of those shows. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we're just going. We're just going to kind of wing it. But I just want everybody to know that we haven't forgotten you, and that we're still going to get back to it. And we are going to get back to the listener content episodes because we do miss those. Those are always a lot of fun. Yeah, some great discoveries with those shows. Mm-hmm. So we'll get back to them and stuff. But yeah, Serbian film, not for everybody. Interesting, but uh, I would only say for diehard film fans. I wouldn't say for. Or diehard, or maybe people who like a challenging film. I don't think uh, transgressive, challenging yeah, film. Yeah, I don't think it's for anybody who just wants to see something freaky because I think you'll just probably end up getting irritated. Yeah, both of us would highly recommend it, though. It is a very well-made film. Yeah, it, it, it does go one. I agree with you, and uh, well, we've said this before. It does go one step too far. But uh, I was along for the ride. I'll say that. I don't know about the word enjoy, but again, I was along for the ride. <laughs> And well done, like we said, well done. It's it's not like it's it's a hack that made it. it was just trying to shock. So yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, yes. Thank you for that, Will. And that's a great fucking episode. Uh, like I said, if you ever win the contest, then there's there you go. You'll uh, indeed you get it. Um, next one is Roop. Just wanted to let us know that Quentin Tarantino is programming at the New Bev, which is a New Beverly in Los Angeles, for the month of March, and you can find his program schedule with some very, very cool stuff, including some stuff I've never even heard of at www.newbevcinema.com backslash calendar dot C as in Charlie, F as in Frank, M as in Michael. Yeah, I think the first night it's Crack House and Redneck Miller. Yeah, very interesting stuff, man. Crack House is a more recent Jim Brown movie. I've never seen it. I heard it was pretty terrible, but I don't know. I might have to check it out. You know, QT's got a weird taste, though. He's a tastemaker for both of us, so... <laughs> Even though sometimes his taste is really odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. I'm just surprised he ha- he's ha- hasn't had more foreign stuff on his top ten list the past two years. But then yeah. again, he could be, you know, with an interview with some French publication, it could be all foreign stuff with a few exceptions. So. Well, one, the one thing about him, though, he, I mean, we've we said this for to each other. I mean, he really likes, like, commercial movies. I mean, he really likes, like, commercial films. I mean, he, he doesn't shy away from that. Mm-hmm. Didn't he put Night and Day on his top ten from last year? dreadful fucking movie <laughs> i still haven't seen it but uh I, don't, I imagine i'll get to it at some point it'll be one of those ones that i get to at some point but uh you know i mean again that's his his taste is really odd sometimes you think you know what he's gonna like and then sometimes he just throws a serious curveball at you yep but hey teach their own yes certainly um next one is from paul Paul says, hi guys, Charlie Parker from the forums here, longtime Scottish listener, first time Scottish emailer. Thought I was due to, it was due time, I dropped you guys a line to let you know how pervasive yourselves are getting uh, in having me watch movies I never thought I would check out otherwise. For around 10 years, I viewed nothing but Asian genre cinema, spaghetti westerns, and crime movies. Since I opened my ears to your smooth movie reviewing tones, like seductive serpent dancing, you've attracted me to Jalo. Horror, trash, and Eurocrime. Ooh, Pope's nosed serpents. Ugh. Jesus. As a young dad who works long hours, I have few social hours. Those I do. I've been propping up at a bar myself, and it's voices like yourselves who are like a kick, who are a kick like a mule on some slow work days. That might sound sad, but that is the reality of the situation. As two fathers of young kids, I'm sure you'll know what I mean. I also have a query in what are the GGTMC's favorite Eurocrime films? Uh, Barring what you've covered, I dig Violent Naples and Death Rage. Till later, Paul. Okay. And the last of us is for us to read. Uh, and, and I would say um, if you want to do that, uh, then hit up uh, Aaron, mm-hmm. the de- uh, you know, uh, Aaron, Death Rattle Aaron. Um, 
If you can't find them on Facebook, uh, hit us, one of us up, and we'll get you in touch with them. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, there is. We have favorite Eurocrime films. Uh, Almost Humans, a favorite of mine. Yes, uh, me too. There's another. There's another Silva one in there. What's the other one I'm trying to think of? Uh, uh, for me, the other Silva one with Lindsay was um, whatever they love is uh, a manhunt in the city. Yeah, there's one. Uh, R- Rulers of the city with Jack Palance is really great. Mm-hmm. There's 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 several. I mean, you'll hear us talk about them on the show. Death Rage is that is that the Yul Brenner film? Yeah, I got it on VHS, and I know you got it too. Yeah, I got it as well. So that'll be interesting. We might cover that at some point. We've talked about it off and on. Valen Naples, I dig. Uh, I, don't, I think, don't as much because I'm not a big Marley yeah. guy. But uh, was that the one we talk about? That's a music the outro freehand for a tough cop. Is that it? That's that's a good one. Yeah, Claudio Castanelli. Yeah. Um, there's Confessions of a Police Captain, right? That was, that's, oh, I fucking love anything by Damiano Damiani. Confessions of a Police Captain, How to Kill a Judge. Uh, yeah, he's got about a handful of really great. Oh, uh, Io Para, which is one with uh, Giano, um, Juliana. No, not Juliana Gemma. Um, great, great. Uh, Jean Maria Volante. Oh, yes. Um, uh, Bandits in Milan with Jean Maria Volante. Um, Weapons of Death with Leonard Mann and Henry Silva is really great. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Get on our board. Someone asked us about favorite Eurocrime a while ago, and I posted about 30 films in there that Sammy and I both can vouch for. So, Yeah, it, it's a lot like uh, good buddy Philippe of the show, who used to send a Diabolica F13, for those of you who know him as that capacity. Me and him got into a discussion one night, and originally he wanted, I remember he wanted to do Simba Diabolica as just a Eurocrime show. And I thought, well, that's really a niche, you know? And, and I was like, you know, you'd have a lot of material, but you'd have a tough time finding those films. And and since then, you know, it seems like everything's come out of the woodwork as far as films go. And, you know, we've been able to get a hold of a lot of that stuff, which is good because Eurocrime is probably the most criminally underseen genre of films. And some people don't like them. I totally understand that. But for those of you who do, it's. It's a treasure trove of movies. Oh, yeah. It's it's maybe my favorite genre. It's close, man. There's a lot of great stuff in there if you're into the, the 70s gritty cop stuff because the Italians do it down and dirtier than, than anyone. Yeah, I'd say it's probably my second favorite genre, but my other genre, favorite genre is Italian too. So Yeah, which is yeah, totally, totally <laughs> so, fair. So, you know, the Italians, they, they did it right for a long time. So. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, uh, Charlie Parker or Paul. He does write for us on the blog over there, so go over and check out some of his stuff. Uh, okay, so this is from Terry. He sent us an email this time. Uh, he says, Hi, gents. This is Terry from Paleo Cinema Podcast, by the way. I just um, acquired a very cool action flick from 1969, which may suit the GGTMC. It's called The Last Grenade. Check out the cast list and tell me that you don't want to see this one. I did, by the way, and yes, I do want to see that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, I think you might want to hook us up there, Terry. Uh, thanks for your ultra mega uber end of your list. Lots of films there I should catch up with. I did see Devil, and it was more than a little meh. Picked out who the devil was pretty early in the piece. A lot of the characters were badly underwritten, and a bit at the end came across to me as Christian propaganda. I did enjoy Troll Hunter and Rare Exports, both of which I recommend highly, though I don't envy those poor bastards their climate. Excuse me. As I type this, I'm watching The Delta Force, which tells me even a few things. One, Lee Marvin can act rings around Chuck Norris even when he's as pissed as a brandied plum. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. Two, anti-Muslim sentiments aren't really anything new. Three, 1980 soundtrack music can be really fucking annoying and intrusive. Yes. And four, when Robert Forster plays an Islamic terrorist, he looks more like a pissed-off Venetian gondolier. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh loud. <laughs> anyway, in a week, I'm off to... 
to uh, Tropical Darwin to drink cocktails out of coconuts and swim in a glass cage in a tank full of crocodiles. Ooh, wish me luck. Keep up the very fine podcast, Terry. Wow, Terry's a, a uh, an adventurist type. I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't have any interest in swimming in a glass cage with a tank full of crocodiles, but that's just me. I did that with sharks um, mm. on my honeymoon. But yeah, obviously glass cage. Yeah, and I got to see the. I got to see this last grenade. So I never heard of it. Yeah, I hadn't either. Terry's another guy, like we've always said, is fantastic. And the the cover art is insane. I don't know if you clicked on it or not, but Jesus, it's... Yeah, I did. It's, it's like hand-painted, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's really bizarre. I, I want to apologize on the air. Charlie had mentioned that thing off the air, and I'd you know, forgotten that he had already been doing some great stuff for us uh, from an Asian standpoint. Yes. Um, so just keep doing what you're doing, man. That's you know, that's all I could say. I, just, I felt bad because I thought about it, and, you know, uh, so my apologies. Okay. Uh, who's next? Uh, you, you got the next one? Yeah. Yes, I do. I think it's Scott. Yes, it is. Scott writes, uh, and he says, Hey, gents, first time writing in, long-time listener. Just want to let you guys know what an awesome job you did giving William Friedker's, Friedkin's criminally obscure sorcerer so much needed attention. I was also thrilled to hear you're both fans of To Live and Die in L.A., which is one of my favorite films of the 80s. It has one of the great car chases and an excellent Wang Chung score that is a perfect companion piece to Tangerine Dream's music and sorcerer. Also, William, thank you for articulating why Scott Pilgrim vs. The World landed in the number two spot of your best of 2010 episode. It was my favorite film of the year, and I've debated its merits with friends, but could never adequately defend it. However, you completely encapsulated why it was the most inventive piece of cinema in 2010. In the future, I'll direct all the tractors to listen to your podcast. (laughs) Also, before I end this, I have a wish list of a few movies which fit the Midnight Cinema pedigree that I would have loved to have seen covered on your podcast show Bluebeard with Richard Burton and Raquel Welch a completely forgotten gothic masterpiece with a great Ennio Morricone score Mandingo with Susan George and James Mason craziest big budget exploitation movie I've ever seen Night of the Juggler with James Brolin and Dan Hedaya super sleazy portrait of New York in the early 80s and Don Coscarelli's Kenyan Company the best and least condescending kids movie since Willy Wonka hopefully this might end up on your roadmap somewhere down the line at any rate keep up the great work guys Scott in Cedar Rapids Iowa and Scott's after he's a man after my own heart he loves the dot 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 as do I both of us fucking love the dot 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 yeah if you guys could see the email there's a ton of dot dot dots I remember I remember Philippe again to mention him he chastised me one time on the board he's like quit with the dot 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 <laughs> I was like I can't it's a, it's a thing uh, let me just say uh, Bluebeard is pretty insane uh, Mandingo is definitely insane uh, when you think about the fact that it even got made in some oh, ways. Yeah. Uh, Night of the Juggler, that one will probably come up pretty soon. It, it was actually going to come up next week. It's so funny yeah. he mentions it um, because it was going to come up next week until I had an epiphany. Okay. So that's that's a matter of time. Uh, Bluebird, I have always wanted to see Mandingo I love. And, and uh, Kenny, Kenny and Company is a good film. That's Coscarelli's first film before he did Phantasm and stuff. It's very odd, but it's Never like, seen it. it's like many kids' films before, you know, you know, we became so protective of kids. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, like a Joe Dante kids movie. It's a little darker or a little bit more interesting. It just doesn't, it just doesn't cater to, you know, the base needs of a child's film. You know how children's films are nowadays. So, oh yeah, not to, you know, I mean, they are what they are, but you know, they do kind of, some of them are kind of condescending. I got to see that one, man. I really got to see that one. It's pretty interesting. Very low budget. 
All right. Uh, so that's our emails. Let me get into some of these voicemails. Some of these voicemails are from two and three weeks ago, so we apologize, but that's just the way it goes. So we'll get into them here. Here we go. Let me start playing one. Yeah, I hate doing the double message thing, but I just discovered this like wonderful sense of kismet that we had going on yesterday. Um, so you did Body Rock, and it rocked my world. Um, last night I watched a movie that I hesitated to say anything about, because as I watched it, I'm like, this is going to be what the pick I'm going to call in for Ladies Appreciation Month. Um, but I'm just going to say it now, because I want you to watch it before then, because maybe you will. This is on Instant Watch. Uh, it's called Gangland, and it stars Costas Mandalore, uh, <laughs> with cameos from Ice-T and Coolio, and it's a terrible, terrible film set in the quote-unquote near future 2010, which is, of course, now the near past. And um, <laughs> it's just awesomely bad, and there's kung fu and or kickboxing. I don't know what's going on, but it's great. And um, the best part about it, well, there's a lot of best parts about it, but um, there's, there's leather pants with no shirts, like, like <laughs> crazy, which I know is how you dress as you record. But the other yes. thing that the reason I just had to call is because as I was looking it up now, um, it starred uh, a woman named Kathleen Kinmont, who I happened to accidentally yes. click on her name because I didn't even care who she was. Um, and it turns out she was the ex-wife of one Lorenzo <laughs> Lamas. Oh, yes. So you see how there was like this, this mind thing going on yesterday. Um, gangland, watch it. That's how I should, I'll just go. Bye. <laughs> I have to remember that one. I have to look at it. I don't know if it's on the, is it on the Canadian Netflix as a watch? Uh, it might be. I would say this. What she should do is send us an email that says gangland and then there's the first pick already in the bag for yeah. ladies appreciation month just in case we don't get to it before then and um to give her some insight i switched it up this week i'm just wearing a leather long sleeve shirt and no pants yeah i've decided to go with um actually I, it's funny you switched it up so did i uh <laughs> mine are just i felt a little bit earthier this week so it's uh, brown suede pants with tassels from the hip down to the ankle nice nice you so, have the tassels Kinma, sorry go ahead you, you have the tassels and i have an odd amount of zippers and buckles on my shirt so i don't know it's just just very odd that we decide to go that way sometimes that's how we roll man <laughs> putting shame in everyone's game that keeps it with strictly leather pants kinmont is of course a star in her own right uh but yes. by star we mean she made a lot of shitty action films and went direct to video in the 90s mm-hmm. which are a lot of fun and right up matsuzaka's alley yeah yeah i like uh i like some of those kinmont films and uh, mm-hmm. it's almost at this point, it's almost like who did Lorenzo Lamas marry? Yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, I like some of her films. They're really some really good trashy late eighties, early nineties action films. Absolutely. And when I say really great, you take that with a grain of salt, people. Please don't call me and say I watched a Kathleen Kimmel film and it was fucking terrible. <laughs> I understand that. That's what I mean by really great. Yep. All right. Uh, thanks, Emily. As always, next uh, voicemail. Hey guys, this is uh, Marty from Australia. Uh, it's been a little while since I've called in, so I thought I'd uh, leave a little bit of feedback. I uh, just finished your last episode, which was Body Rock and My Bodyguard. Uh, now, I've had Body Rock for a fair while, just sitting in my VHS collection. Uh, a fair while ago, there was a video store that was going out of business and they were getting rid of all their tapes. So that was one of them that I picked up. Uh, so on the weekend, I, it's been uh, extremely hot here. It's been 40 degrees. I decided I'm going to get some uh, takeaway Chinese. I'm going to get a couple of bottles of wine and uh, stick my copy of Body Rock into the player. Nice. <laughs> uh, so, yes, very interesting. It was an amazing film. I had a real laugh. Uh, I think it helped with the wine that I was drinking. But, yeah, there were scenes that were just hilarious. Uh, my girlfriend thought the film was really bad, but she had a bit of a laugh as well. So, yeah, it was all good. 
Uh, the next day I watched My Bodyguard. Uh, now I was a little bit distracted, so I didn't get into that quite as much. Uh, but I could see that people would probably really like that film, uh, particularly probably when it first came out. So as a 33-year-old, it was a little bit hard to grasp um, the film, but yeah, I still enjoyed it. Um, as a result of seeing those two films, I actually posted on Facebook that I was watching them, and uh, I had a friend who really likes My Bodyguard, and he got a real kick when he saw that I was watching it, and he actually went and uh, acquired it as well. So I kind of feel that your show has led to uh, my friend rediscovering an old film that he really liked. Uh, same with uh, Body Rock. I've got a friend who really liked uh, Lorenzo Lamas, and when I told her that I was watching Body Rock, uh, she immediately went out and got it as well. So, yeah, I'd just like to say that uh, your show's becoming really far-reaching with my friends. Um, nice. When I post a film that I like, they go and seek it out, and, yeah, it's really good. So hopefully one day they'll actually listen to the podcast as well. So that's pretty much all I've got to say. So I'm going to drive off now. Um, I've just been working. Um, on my way home, I generally drop into a few thrift stores, see if we've got some more trash videos I can find and buy. <laughs> nice. So um, keep up the good work. I really still enjoy your show, and I'll talk to you a bit later. Okay, see ya. That's good almighty from Australia. And that was a terrible Australian accent by Rick. So <laughs> Awful. Atrocious. Speaking of which, I almost bought Road Warrior on Blue today for seven ninety nine. Is that worth the money? Uh, that is definitely worth the money. That's the best looking. I, I have, that's one of my favorite blues I own. Oh fuck! I gotta go to Best Buy before some cunt snatches the you last can, one up. You can see individual pieces of asphalt on the roads. That's how clear the picture is. Oh wow! It's pretty. It's pretty really. amazing. I, I love it. Uh, but you know, might not. Well, fuck! I love it. Who cares? Yeah, I'm no, no, for sure. And I'm there's a good wait. commentary with George Miller, I think, and the uh, oh, guy that uh, yeah, yeah. did a lot of the stunt work. So yeah, yeah, George Miller does great commentaries. He don't do them enough of them, and obviously he doesn't make enough films anymore. But uh, I love George Miller so much. And you know what else we love? We love Marty, who needs to call in more. I was talking to Marty earlier today. He's like, man, I don't like my voice. Dude, a lot of people don't like their voices. And uh, yeah. I, if I remember correctly, I don't want to speak for you, Sammy, but you don't really care for your voice. And here you are, 121 episodes in. Yes, this is true. I don't really like the way I sound when I do uh, voicemails. And I don't like the way I sound when I do the That's the reason why I don't listen to our show. I don't... Uh, <laughs> I don't listen to it because I cringe when I hear myself talk. It's it's it's. I think there's a lot of people out there like that. I don't think that's anything yeah. that's that rare. Some people just don't like to listen to themselves talk, and I've been that way since I was a kid. So it's just me. But uh, you know, I, I can totally understand. But yeah, Marty, don't don't yeah, keep calling in, man. You always get you always get some good stuff. I mean, anybody that owns Body Rock on VHS, come on, call man, after our hearts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Some vino, some takeout Chinese, and body rock. That that's a winning trinity if there ever was one. Yeah, stomach ache and a headache and a <laughs> an eye ache from watching body rock. Yeah, yeah. No, good stuff, man. It's. Uh, I'm glad he watches. Some people, you know, I wonder sometimes if they even pursue the films we watch because I know some people, you know, listen to podcasts and they don't actually. Some some of the films are obviously not their cup of tea, so to speak. So it's always interesting when somebody pursues something like body rock. <laughs> Oh, totally. It always kind of makes me smile inside because, you know, you could be doing so much more with your time. <laughs> yeah, but I really want to tell you when it's all said and done, like I think when, when you know, the GGTMC has its Hall of Fame, when Sammy has his own wing of the GGTMC Hall of Fame, that one's in your your wing, certainly. it. it <laughs> what a fucking film, man. I mean, it was one that I had seen and liked, but I didn't have the genius to have it on the roadmap, and you did, and 
really want to tip my hat because that's uh, that's a proper GGTMC film. <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> oh boy, what an embarrassment! All right, uh, no, I mean, in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> yes, again, like like a Kathleen Kinmont film. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I got a good kickboxing movie. Where she's like an undercover agent with her in it. She was always an undercover agent. Like everything she ever did, she was uh, an undercover agent. Undercover agent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next uh, voicemail. This is a long one from Doc Zom. Here we go. Gentlemen, this doctor's home. Um, calling from the throne room of Zomania. <laughs> um, sitting here, uh, reading Joe Namath's biography. I got it. Pretty too. good book. Yeah. Um, and that actually ties in with some genre cinema, because it talks about uh, Broadway Joe, many of his uh, his illustrious film career, CC and Company, and The Last Rebel, and some of that good stuff. Also, uh, Broadway Joe. Uh, any big any of you that are uh, big fans of the hit TV series Chips. Well, Broadway <laughs> Joe used to nail Randy Oaks, who played Bonnie, the female cop. I was going to say Erica Strata. Let me tell you something. From what I remember of her, uh, yeah, I'd like to be sniffing Broadway Joe's finger. Oh, my God. Anyway, Dr. Zom's uh, just Jesus. got off work and uh, feeling a little crampy. Hey. That's why I'm in the throne room reading Broadway Joe and... Having a little sip of some uh, refreshing beverage as I um, take care Sound of Sounded like a golden shower. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Watched a, uh, watched a, a uh, surprising, surprisingly, I uh, watched, had a uh, Sylvester Stallone marathon um, this weekend as I was snowed in in the palace. Um watched lock up uh which was a uh, it's still it's pretty entertaining uh sometimes not because of why stallone wanted it to be entertaining <laughs> but uh you know it's pretty damn good and uh sunny landam the former porn star i mean to me he stole the whole movie because yeah. he was a you know pretty badass mother uh in it um Football, the football game in that movie, uh, that was the highlight to me. <laughs> and then I followed that up with watching Nighthawks, which uh, I loved it because uh, I remember when Stallone was really big after Rocky, and you know uh, everybody loved Rocky, oh Rocky, hey, you know. <laughs> and uh, but then you'd see Stallone in People magazine and all these magazines, and he had this like long, flowing styled feathered hair and a beard and you know he was hanging out at studio 54 and all this stuff well this was the stallone you got in this movie and i'm telling you what him and rutger hauer were battling it out for who had the biggest aviator sunglasses in that movie. Oh, yeah. i thought stallone's was pretty big but rutger hauer had a pair on that looked like a fucking welder's uh you know mask jesus uh, other than that i watched first blood uh, which you know, 
It was good. It's still good. The main reason I like watching that one now is uh, watching uh, David Crusoe and watching Gabby from Blazing Saddles just abuse Stallone while he's naked, you know, with his nightstick. That's kind of... Anyway, um, also watched The Runaways, which I thought was good. I thought it was better than I thought it would be. I find Kristen Stewart to be very unattractive, and I found I used to find Joan Jett to be very attractive. Uh, and uh, you know, but I'll tell you what. While I was watching it, you know, I really, I really got into it. She had Joan Jett down, uh, you know, pretty damn good. Uh, you kind of almost forgot that you were watching Kristen Stewart. Uh, Dakota Fanning was good as, uh, uh, Cherie, um, and, uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, also watched, um, Edge Play. I told Sammy about it. It's a documentary about the Runaways, which I actually liked even more than I liked the movie. And I ended up, I watched, uh, Big Wet Asses 4 with, uh, Flower Tucci, who I believe is either the daughter of or a close, uh, relation to Stanley Tucci, (laughs) and it also had, uh, Naomi Russell in it. Uh, this was a pretty good movie. Uh, very... I have to pause this because I'm ashamed that I know exactly who the two people he's talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, I, I'm a fan of Flower Tucci, it should be said. Meta. Thespian. And, uh, you know, it's something, it's not for everyone, I must admit, but, you know, it's a, it's a genre that I, that I enjoy, uh, you know, just about every morning when I come home. Oh, Lord. Right before I go to sleep. Understandable. Anyway, this is Dr. Zom. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, finish up my business here. And uh, <laughs> make myself something to eat. Wash those hands. Uh, go in here and uh, unwind a little bit. Rub my tum tum. <laughs> Rub the soap soap. <laughs> Needs to get some of those Bath and Body Works soaps going. Does the uh, <laughs> the um, sensual amor? Yes. Uh, two things off the top. First, I now know that Zom would like to smell Joe Namath's finger, and uh, yes. also that he drinks on the toilet, <laughs> which is. Interesting to me. Remind me to bring my own bottle of water whenever I visit some. <laughs> exactly. If I can give me some funky colored uh, mason jar, man, I just, <laughs> can't get down with that. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, when we first started doing the show, I almost had a moment where I was going to use the Chips theme for our intro music. It's great music. Because, uh, you know, I thought that, that, that really kind of signifies what we're about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it was always a, a matter of who was Punch and who was... Uh, what's his name? Larry Wilcox? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think either one of us wanted to be Larry Wilcox, to be honest no, with you. No, we were just, it's all about punch. <laughs> yes. So, but it is great theme music. I might use that at some point for the show. It'd be pretty funny sure. to use it. <laughs> oh, when we do Castellari's Light Blast with Estrada, we should use that as the music. Yes. Very, very great. I, I love chips growing up. I love that, you okay. know, what I always loved about the show was that they would set up like these major traffic accidents. <laughs> and you could see them like, they'd spend like 10 minutes setting these things up. <laughs> And then all, all hell would break loose, and then, you know, yeah. Ponch and them would show up. Talk about some aviators, those guys. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about that. That's the man with the aviators. <laughs> but, yeah, Nighthawks, uh, Nighthawks is actually on the roadmap. We haven't got around to it, but uh, we're going to talk about it at some point. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
Big Big Wet Asses Four is not on the roadmap, but uh, it's on the personal roadmap. <laughs> yeah, but I've probably seen a few clips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. Anyway, all right. Uh, moving along. Another one. Yo. Um, so sometimes done dusted. Only managed um, thirty-three this year, uh, including shorts and uh, documentary shorts packages. But uh, which is pretty poor for myself. But uh, you know, with baby duties and all that, uh, what can you do? But yeah, uh, some some great ones, uh, some mediocre ones. You know, um, I'll be doing my own little uh, Sundamicus this year. So uh, if you want to hear the uh, the reviews on that, you know, pop on over there. So anyway, love myself some uh, Billy Friedkin. Uh, Sorcerer is uh, my personal favorite Friedkin. After doing some research looking into it, I actually found out that uh, Billy Friedkin actually did an Amicus. Uh, 1968's The Birthday Party, starring Robert Shaw and Patrick McGee, huh. um, oh, wow. about uh, a lodger in a seaside boarding house who's menaced by two mysterious strangers. Um, the they say I've never seen it before. You know, I I, I managed to, uh, to to track it down. Looking forward to it. Uh, they say it's along the lines of um, uh, Straw Dogs. Uh, don't look now. So um, um, so pretty cool. You know. Um, Days. I also wish that every bridge in the world was as rickety as the bridge mm. in um, Sorcerer. I think it would add uh, a lot more excitement to the daily commute. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> certainly would. Are. A lot more time. <laughs> That's just me. So, um, also, if memory serves me correct, I think that uh, Al Scheider has uh, quite a, a uh, like a prosthetic nose, and uh, perhaps maybe that's what uh, Metal Mike is referring to with his uh, pup nose. <laughs> so anyway, have a day, one and all. Really looking forward to the show. Ta-ra. Nice. Thanks, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, I do not want any bridges that I ever cross to be like the bridge at Sorcerer. <laughs> no. I have a fear of water, first of all, and uh, and also a fear of dying. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's, I'd say that's a certainly a, a valid fear. Yes, it's a little too rickety for me. I always think about those bridges like in those adventure movies. Remember like in Temple of Doom and stuff, that long bridge oh, man, across the gate? Oh, rope and wooden bridges, man. They were they were a real thing when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't really have them in movies that much anymore, but those rope bridges, those long rickety rope bridges that always would make like that noise of rope stretching. Yeah, yeah. I think there's one in Apocalypto, isn't there? Uh, You know what? There might be. There might be. Can't recall. It's been a little while since I watched Apocalypse. I might have to revisit that sometime. Considering putting it on the roadmap, because I was looking for the blue tonight, because you nice. said how good it looked. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. a film that both you and I adore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, we might do that at some point in time. Yeah. So why not? It'd be fun to talk about. Uh, okay. Uh, thanks, Brian. I'm going to be on Hammockus pretty soon. I know. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to hear you do the accent. <laughs> yes. I'm going to be doing the, uh, the uh, Shaw Brothers uh, Hammer crossover film Shatter. Yeah, very excited to hear that talk, so, man. Uh, we're going to be uh, doing that pretty soon. Next week, actually, I should be doing that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Brian has this whole thing he does for his show. If you guys don't listen to his show, he's got all these little, you know, bits in his show, which is really well planned and everything. But the problem is that you got to do homework yep. before you go on the show and stuff. So, I got some homework to do and things uh, before I go on there, obviously. And I am dreading the English accent that'll probably come out as badly as my Australian one just did. And oh, I can't wait. I can't <laughs> wait to not be alone in that boat, my friend. Yes, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next voicemail. GGTMC. Oh, this is Metal Mikey. And I am stuck in the blizzard-laden frozen north of Michigan. So how do I keep my sandy 
Well, I watched some Bruno Matai post-apocalyptic nice. fun in Rats Night of Terror <laughs> nice. and try and see the good in Jim Brown's Pacific Inferno. But I also decided to call in the GGTMC about their Cabo Monero episode. So first off, I believe it was Rick's recent viewing on Tapped, the Bottled Water documentary. And you know what? Bottled water sources can be questionable, but you know what I prefer? I prefer bottled water made strictly out of the tears of Twilight franchise groupies. Jesus. Mmm, so tasty. <laughs> Salty. And I believe the subject of turkey necks came up in the episode. You know, <laughs> my turkey neck, when it is not powdered, it also has a nickname that I'm sure the audience members would love to hear. The gobbler? It would be officially called the gobbledygooker. <laughs> and you can just go with that wherever you will. And the only movie I really have to comment on, and I don't know why I have this to comment on, because I have not seen either of them, is Cabo Blanco. And apparently we heard one of Will's hidden desires and that he wishes to see David Warbeck in drag. (laughs) Hmm. Well, you know, some places gotta exist. I'm just saying, we found Bolo Young in drag. Maybe (laughs) David Warbeck decided to put on the nylons, a wig, and some Nice, pretty lipstick for a roll. Sweet. And you mentioned a parrot conversation sh- a conversation scene between Bronson and, well, the parrot. Now, my question to you, Rick, and you, Will, is this. What would you say, who would you say is the best conversationalist of a parrot? Would it be Charles Bronson from Cabo Blanco or Terrence Hill from Viva Django? Who do you think holds the best conversation with nature's favorite mimicry bird? Oh, awesome times. Oh, and come on, Rick. Flighting on Lanny Papo. For the record, he turned it all around as the genius. I have complete fond memories of the genius. Like, he probably so much influenced my life, and you can tell because of my many varied poetic stylings. But anyways, both take it easy. Enjoyed the episode. And I'll probably be listening to a, yeah, another behind episode soon. So take it easy, guys. Catch you later, buddy. Yeah, the the genius didn't he used to come out with like a like a graduation type hat on, like cap yeah. and gown type thing? Yeah, okay, I remember. <laughs> oh, leaping Lanny Poffo. Oh, Lanny. Pacific Inferno. Never seen that. I don't know if it's any good or not. Have you seen Pacific Inferno? Uh, no, but I'm always down for a little Jim Brown. Yeah, so interesting. Uh yes, you can tell the email's old. Uh, he's frozen. So I still got. I got. We just got another voicemail from Mikey tonight. I don't know if I'll get to that one tonight though. So we'll I'll see. tell you. But between the Vienna sausage and the gobbledygooker, this guy's painting quite a picture for himself. Yeah, he's got more nicknames for his penis than he does for anything else. The yeah. Pope's nose, the uh, gobbledygooker. Pope's nose, and I got it's. It's like a theme park. All these different rides. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who are going to meet Mikey in uh, March, for those of you who might be going to a horror hound for the first time and meet Mikey because he'll probably be there. Uh, nice, nice guy, super nice guy, and oh, and you terribly nice. And you know his voicemails. He's got this like character. You know, he's totally so nice in person. That he's nothing like that really in some ways. <laughs> well, at least with his pants on, we yes. can't vouch for <laughs> yes, that's true. pants off. But no, yeah, Rick's right, man. He's an amazing guy. Don't be creeped out. He's he's just a a, a genuinely sweet man. Yes, very nice. All right, next voicemail. Here we go. We're actually getting through these pretty quick. 
Hey guys, this is Jake McLarch, huge calling in in regards to the Maple Vice Squad episode, and uh, as you can imagine, I was very excited to find out that you guys were covering Nine Souls, because I love that movie to death. Uh, that and Blue Spring are kind of swapped out, depending on which day you ask me, on my uh, top 20 of all time list, and I was just really, really excited that you guys uh, covered it, and more important that you guys really liked it. Uh, probably the the thematic content of it in, in that, you know, you can never really escape your past and in that, like, either society won't let you escape it or you just can't allow yourself to escape it, uh, in particular with a couple characters. Uh, I have a feeling I'm being a little, uh, little reductionist in that sense, but that's, that's the most powerful part of the movie for me. I think the most brilliant thing that it accomplishes is that it makes you care so much about some of the lesser characters, the less important characters. And I think it's either a combination of, you know, Toyota really getting you to like this group of characters as a whole. And so when one of them is affected because of your allegiance your your uh, affection for the group that kind of gets transferred onto that character in that moment or it could just simply be that the scenes themselves are just so remarkably impeccably directed and done uh that it really sticks with you uh i'm speaking in terms of the uh the pornographer the loose cannon the mad bomber those emotional payoffs are just ooh, absolutely devastating uh, i haven't seen detective d yet it's definitely on my radar uh, in regards to Choi Hark, he's <laughs> he's definitely a guy that kind of occupies the same sort of space as uh, Dario Argento in terms of when they're on, they're really fucking on, but when they're not, it can be a little bewildering, which is the kindest way of putting it. A little? But honestly, a little? You guys had me at spooky pandemonium, so <laughs> I'm on board. Yes. I also want to take this time to pit my podcast that I just started. It's an Asian genre film podcast called Podcast Without Honor and Humanity, and you guys can find that at podcastwithouthonorandhumanity.libsyn.com. Uh, Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, so you guys should definitely check it out if you have the chance, and if I could be so bold, I'd even say that it's... Keep up the good work, guys, and take care. Bye. That, that uh, sound clip might be better than the Chris sound clip, although the Chris sound clip, like I said, Jake, you got to send me that. You got to send me that edited yes. piece. I can go back and get it myself, obviously, but uh, just send it to me in an email. Cause, uh, <laughs> that would be super, super. Yeah, that might be a future <laughs> clip we use quite often. Cause oh, that will be reoccurring. Still one of my favorite moments of all time. <laughs> The gift that keeps on giving. Still, I, I can't get over you going, excuse me, what was that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're going to make me repeat that. Good old. Great moment. Cool cat. Yeah, no, well, but Jake brings up some great stuff, and his show is great. Um, showed some composure right out of the box. I've only gotten through his first episode, but uh, off topic, he was mentioning blueberries that I love anyway, and I'm going to start eating more. Uh, you'll have to listen to his show to find out what that means. And also, I'm going to be getting a cookbook that he recommended on that show. So Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, it's some good stuff, man. Like I said, he's a guy that really knows his stuff and loves his Asian cinema, and you know, didn't sound as nervous as most people do on their first show. Like, uh, cool as <laughs> to see fucking nervousness uh, at work but uh yeah, that's pretty yeah. funny actually our first episode is hilarious oh boy that's really the moment when i was like i cannot listen to us anymore <laughs> or me yeah. anyway i was i just felt like i was wound tight i think our first like two or three episodes by the time we i think by the time we got to like 
A bittersweet alligator, third yeah. number three, I think. Yeah, bittersweet alligator. We were hitting, we were, we were heading where we wanted to go. So, but uh, yeah, no, I haven't even, I haven't had a chance to listen to the show. I'll be full disclosure, I haven't even had a chance yet. So, I'm just backlogged on some stuff. I'm trying to catch up. I, I just listened to like seven episodes of Chinstroker versus Punter, and and I'm backed up on some stuff. And uh, I'm even backed up on Brian's podcast. But I'll be honest with you, I just you know, one of those things you get you get That's backed tough. up on these things, and so. But I'm still got them on the old iPod, and they'll get listened to eventually. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, next one here. We got another one. Thanks as always, Jake. Hey, Jabs, it's Vishnu just phoning in because I don't believe I've given you guys any feedback for, well, probably a donkey's ear. <laughs> this like. is true. Um, just thought I'd chat about a few things. Um, I just watched Hard Times this morning for the first time. Oh. Getting a little bit of Bronson action on a Saturday morning. Uh, the missus sort of came by, had a quick look at the screen, <laughs> looked at me, looked at the screen again. It's like, Charles Bronson, was he ever young? And then walks away. Which reminds me of the thing. I mean, what is the youngest um, Bronson appearance that you guys can remember? I, Because I, I honestly can't think of one where he does look young. It brings to mind the, um, the Simpsons episode where we got to, I think it's called Bronsonville. And everyone looks like Charles Bronson as a little kid with Charles Bronson's <laughs> yes. face and his mom. Yes. That's great. Candy. It's Bronson, Missouri, they call it. one of these yeah. things. Was he a baby with that gravelly face? Um, and yes, in hard times, I know he's a bit older, but he does, he's got this badass body, he's just, you know, he's an old grandpa, they make a point of it, and all, constantly throughout the movie, they call him, calling him Pops, an old man, before he, you know, beats the shit out of someone, it's kind of fantastic. Yes. He's an old guy that doesn't yell, get off my lawn, he just goes down there and beats the crap out of the kids before he takes their ball. Um, the other thing I was phoning about, though, apart from, you know, the love of Charles Bronson and shirtless men, um, was, uh, shows, a couple shows back, um, there was Blom's Loaf, and you're talking about sharks, and um, Will mentioned he's supposed to the, the, uh, punching a shark in the nose, and that's sort of the, the, the myth of how to get rid of them. It does actually work. Um, and I know this because, and it sounds silly, I know a guy that did it. Um, a friend of our family, he was uh, down in Cuba on holiday with his wife, and um, a shark attacked his wife. And he swam up and he did what they said he punished the shark in the nose and apparently they've got like a bunch of nerve endings there or something for sensing prey or something but yeah he swam up and he punched the shark in the nose and he let go of his wife who was biting his wife and um they managed to swim away and he, he you know so that instantly makes him the most badass guy i know because he saved his wife from a shark by punching it in the face um <laughs> so apparently that does work it's not just a myth i still would probably crap my pants and just oh, yeah. though. Anyway, that was it. I thought I'd uh, give some feedback. Take care, guys. Bye. All right. Always good to hear from Vish. Very good, close friend of the show. I got some vinyl of his I've had since Horror Hound, man. I got to get it to him. Nice. Uh, you want to see uh, probably the most notable young Charles Bronson? I would go with House of Wax from 1953. I've always meant to see that. That's with him and Vincent Price. He doesn't really speak a lot in it and stuff, but you can go back further than that. He did some stuff before that, but that's probably the most n- notable film. He did a lot of uncredited stuff, really. He just didn't really, his career didn't get started really until I think he hit up with Corman and did uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Yes. Which is a good little exploitation film. It's not a great film. Don't uh, <laughs> don't uh, quote me on that, but it's a good little exploitation film. But he would pop up in westerns and TV show westerns and stuff like that and stuff, but... I guess he didn't really catch on until the 60s. What's interesting, two early films of his that I like, uh, one that, that are readily available, too, are, uh, of course, Magnificent Seven, 
which has every super cool man in it, and Kid Galahad, the Elvis film, which uh, I yeah. quite like because it's based on a Harold no- Robbins novel. I quite like a Stone for Danny Fisher. So yeah, I love I love uh, Kid Galahad just because it is it's Elvis and, and Charles Bronson together. It's just so amazing yeah. to watch that together. You know, it blew my mind when I first saw because I didn't realize it was Bronson with him. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. it's one of those moments. You're like, holy shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, we got one from James here. As always, thanks, Vish, and uh, I still will not... I don't know if I could punch a shark. I'd, I'd shit my pants, and then... <laughs> I guess, you know, I would punch him. I guess I, guess I would try to you punch him. You have no choice, dude. You gotta fucking swing it, man. Yeah, I'd, you'd have to. I just don't see how you could do anything else. Nope. Jesus. Just the thought of it, though, just sends chills down my spine. Oh, yeah. All right, next voicemail. What's up, gents? It's James from Criterion Cast. Um, just listened to the newest episode with Sorcerer. Um... I'm actually I'm actually surprised you guys didn't mention maybe you did maybe I'm just you know my brain shitting out nothing um but that is, it's you know Sorcerer is a remake of the fantastic fantastic French thriller um Wages The Wages of Fear by Henry Georges Clouseau um which that film is insane and then of course, you know, it was remade as Violent Road by uh, Howard Koch and then Sorcerer by William Friedkin. Two really good remakes of a really good film originally. So, And, of course, that's a Criterion film. And I like that you guys had... <laughs> you really want a Sorcerer uh, DVD from Criterion. And it's actually one I've been considering for a while um, with my article series uh, for Criterion Consideration. Yeah, it definitely deserves one, especially that transfers is shit. I I hate it. It's kind of the same thing with the Tamino film, uh, The Sicilian. That film, mm. I love that film to death, but that DVD, full screen ass, uh, terrible. I um, also want to make a quick point on you. I think I think you guys had spoken about real quickly the Green Slime, uh, like you know Kimji Fukusaku, you know made like a kind of crappy film. Um, one of archives just put out a beautiful remastered print of it, and and I and of course I like got it to review. It's actually not bad. It's it's actually a really fun sci-fi like kitschy you know film. A lot of violence and some stuff in it is very reminiscent of like later on like horror films. Like there's one scene in that um, film that this guy's getting like electrocuted by one of the green slime in one of the rooms and. It, it pans out. It's in the trailer where you just like fly. You know, the guy's like shocked. It really, it's really reminiscent. Like Carpenter might have taken that for the thing, like like that kind of like particular scene because it's very very reminiscent. But um, yeah, I mean, Fukusaku, fantastic director. Of course, you know a lot of people know him from his quote unquote last film, Battle Royale, which is, of course is brilliant. And, that, and considering that's your last film. I don't really count Battle Royale too. Um, but before that, you know, he he was in the same year. He made a really good film called Black Lizard, which isn't available. The great uh, Sherlock Holmes type film, but it's based on a a book series in Japan. Um, can't remember the guy. I think um, Edogawa Rampo, I think is the is the writer's name. But it's a really fantastic film. So you guys, well. If I could find it again, I had seen it many years ago on TV. It's it maybe CDB could get a copy. That would be fantastic. 
So if they can find that, I will bite it in a heartbeat and spread the word. But guys, kicking ass, and um, yeah, just wanted to you know throw in my two cents. Talk to you guys later. Peace. All right, that was James from Criterion Cast. So that's all the feedback I think we'll cover today. But uh, anyway, he, he he brings up some interesting things with Fukusaku. Yeah, I mean, Green Slime, obviously, you know, it's considered one of the worst films of all time. But I mean, I think with a lot of the worst films of all time, quote unquote, you'll find that most of them aren't as bad as some of the other stuff that's out there. There's much worse films out there nowadays than some oh, of these totally. worst films of all time. You take the direct video age, I'll take the bad films from the 50s, 60s, and 70s over the direct video age any day. The director yeah. video age. There's some truly atrocious cinema out there nowadays. So, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. What are you gonna do? But uh, we did bring up the wages fear a little bit, but we didn't want to talk about it too much. I would be interested in, you know, covering that at some point. Maybe some. We don't typically do films like that, but uh, it would be interesting to kind of look at that after we looked at Sorcerer. It'd be kind of interesting to talk about that at some point. Well, we got a few on the roadmap. We got Max and the Junkmen. We got Rafifi. And I guess that would be the other one, kind of fit into that French kind of pulpy stuff. So, yeah, no, I'd say it's certainly fair game. And in fact, Serendipity, it's on TCM this week, and it's, uh, my PVR is set to record it. So Nice, nice, nice. I have it. I've had it for years. I like the film quite a bit. So, yeah. But it'd be interesting to talk about it at some point. Anyway. Let's get into our pleasantries. As always, thank you, James. And for those of you who called in this past week, uh, we'll get to you next week. There's like four or five of you. So, again, apologies, but it's already been an hour of feedback. I don't want to go too much more. That's about the threshold, I think, nowadays. So, Yes, thank you, James. And Black Lizard sounds awesome. i got to track it down. Yes, I agreed. Uh, Fukusako, again, one of the more interesting careers. Oh, yeah, one of the masters of our time. Um, he'll be back very soon. So we'll see you no more. Um, so OTC Show Show our sister shows of course all of our friends over at palaver.com Paleo Cinema Action Attraction Better in the Dark Hammockus which you can hear Sammy at next week doing an accent better than mine certainly but hopefully enough to make him sweat a little Um, Married with Clickers a Criterion cast the podcast without honor and humanity let me say real quick uh, Married with Clickers Scott if you could send me your promo again I seem to have either deleted it or lost it I have no idea where it's at but I need it back so please if you're listening send it to me in an email I'd appreciate it yeah a really good wife husband show (laughs) And then maybe he'll make another promo and add that your bit into that. Yeah, I fucking delayed there because I'm tired. I was going to say wife, son. Ooh. Make much sense. Uh, sounds more like some Zom 70s porn. Uh, yeah, a little taboo. Some of the stuff he would watch uh, in the 70s. Nice. You know, but uh, anyway, don't mean to offend the Zom, of course. He is a man of good taste and distinction, certainly. Um, beyond that, paracinema.net. It was. It was Corn Nut, the Dill Pickles' birthday this past week. Hopefully he had a good one yeah. when they shared in some gluten-free birthday cake. Um, <laughs> they got a new issue the, coming out, too, very soon. Very soon. Soon come, soon come. The ggtmc.blogspot.com, where you can check out Charlie Parker and all the other great writers over at the GGTMC. And let us mention that we uh, we do a DVD, yes. uh, weekly DVD thing now. So it's kind of a good idea. I think it's a good idea because... You know, I almost went with Bambi this past week because I want to say this on the show. You can get Bambi on Blu-ray for like twelve ninety nine if you print off the in the states. You print off this coupon from Best Buy, and I was like, you know, Blu-ray Bambi twelve ninety nine. It's a no brainer. Sold. Yeah, but, that's uh, a classic, man. It's I, worth owning. But then I thought, you know, that's not very GGTMC like, so I went without a sight instead. So fuck that. It is <laughs> because it's what you want to choose, man. Yeah. yeah. But out of sight, still a great film too. So great film underseen film certainly uh and you and Rube yeah, going yeah. with the doctor uh, what was it was it was it? i forget dr what. black and mr hyde yeah. yeah nice 
Good film, man, with our boy, Bernie Casey. Um, good film, man, good film. Um, so, yeah, we'll be doing that every week. Uh, beyond that, we have uh, River Pumpkin Speaks, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Lightning Bugs Lair, Fist of B-List, Stinking Paws, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Chimp Talk, um, etc., etc. CDB, uh, where you can potentially find, you can find next week's pick, <laughs> uh, which I'm going to drop on Sammy. I can't wait to drop it on him. Nice. Uh, promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders, omg-entertainment.com. GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. They got some great stuff over there, guys. Go over, check them out. And again, Camera Obscura and Pink Egg are still in the pipeline. Obscura, we're still waiting for the order. Uh, iTunes reviews, as always, appreciated. Friend us all on Facebook. Join the group. Twitter.com backslash GGTMC. Large William, Bob Freelander, Pickleloaf10, UncoolCat uh, to find us all there. Uh, donate if you wish to do so. Uh, donate button's on our page. Now, are you ready for what I'm going to drop on you for the Super Bowl bet? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm excited about this. So as always, you know, whenever one of us picks both films, I'm always, you know, it's like winning a prize, maybe. <laughs> no, I totally agree, man. Totally agree. I was kind of torn which way to go. I decided to go with one. I, it was one that I was over the CDB website recently and saw they got a new, an upgrade of it. And I thought, well, I got to check this out. So if I told you that we were going to combine witches, black magic, monsters, sword fights, topless female ninja assassins, um, magical weapons, werewolves, and Paul Nashi. What would you say? I'd say the same thing you said when uh, I sent you that email about the possible Quentin Tarantino uh, Spaghetti Western, which was Boner City. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say this. He got a lot of money to make this film. He wrote it, directed it, starred in it. It says Valdemar Daninsky, tortured werewolf character. He shot it at Mifuni's production house or through his production house. Kurosawa, I shit you not, went up to him after he made the film and applauded how accurate he got the Japanese period stuff. Wow. So it's Nashi, werewolves, uh, samurai, and female topless ninja assassins. <laughs> and that film, of course, is uh, The Beast uh, the Beast and the Magic Sword. Okay. That's, so that's, the first that's one. one I've never seen, actually. Nor have I. So looking forward to that. I love the tortured werewolf character. Yes, it looks great. I cannot wait to fucking cover it. The next one is one uh, is more up Roop's alley. And in fact, I emailed him. I said, man, is this on your roadmap? So I don't want to take it if it is. He said, no, uh, it wasn't. But he was quite excited. Uh, we're going to get into some Scott Bayo next week. Oh, really? We're going to get into Scott Bayo, Jodie Foster. Huh. We're going to get into Alan Parker. Oh. We're going to get into a gangster movie where all the gangsters are children. Wow. And instead of real bullets, they use cream pies. We're going to do <laughs> the Paul Williams scored Bugsy Malone. Wow. Yeah, that that is a, a childhood favorite. So that should be fun. Yeah, I've I, never I, seen it, man. But I've always, I remember he posted the uh, the uh, the thing for it, the, uh, the, the trailer, a clip from it. I thought, man, this looks fucking cool. And I know you'd seen it and dug it. Mm -hmm. And I figured it was just total curveball city with those two picks. That really is. I mean, let's be honest. Bugsy Malone and the Beast and the Magic Sword? <laughs> Jeez. we got to call it the Beast and the Magic Cream Pies. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's some awesome programming right there. Nice, nice. I'm glad you dig it, man. I couldn't wait to drop those on you. Nice, nice. That'll be fun. That'll be quite fun. I'll have to... Maybe... Uh, well, no, no. I don't know. We'll see. We'll what, see. What? I was thinking maybe we might, might want to invite Roop on for Bugsy Malone, maybe. But Why don't we? See if he's free. I'll see if he's free. See if he can come on for maybe the show or something. 
Because yeah. we haven't had him on in a while, and I just need to see if it's his schedule or if we can work something out. If we can work something out, I'll see if I can get him on. But if not, you know, say lovey, we'll get him on sometime soon. Yes, exactly. But uh, yeah, you know, whenever we do something, I know somebody's really tight with. I like to try to get him on. So, like, if it was Mexican trash, we'd call it the loaf. Oh yeah, we definitely call. It. He sent a voicemail in this past week, but I, we didn't get to it today, so we'll get to it next time. But anyway, I think that is the big show. So we'll come back next week with uh, the Beast, the Magic Sword, and Bugsy Malone. <laughs> Ought to be very interesting. Uh, Will, if you want to hang around after the outro music, I want to talk to you after. Yes. So I am going to play this and say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 